Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. I'm extremely worried, though, about the president going to uh, Black Wall Street, going to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to deliver a message next week. The reason being is because you never really want uh, an arsonist near uh, the house when it's burning down. What do you think is going to happen, Bakari? Well, I'm, I'm afraid of the language he may use. I'm afraid of someone who, uh, uh, while their country is still becoming untethered on this issue of race, while we're, we're actually uh, beginning to have conversations uh, that are difficult, uh, but yet necessary. I think that the president may set us back even further. I remind you, Allison, that the, this president of the United States that did not create racism. However, in places like Charlottesville, he allowed racists to take their hoods off and be proud and emboldened in their ignorance. And to say that there were good people in the crowd. And welcome back to Flat Politic Podcast. It's the 13th of June, year of our Lord, 2020. Yeah, I went early. It's going to be a short podcast, but only a 42-page script, which is half of what I usually do. Sound bites will be long. But there was enough hypocrisy and stupid stuff, and with Tuesday being a day that I don't know when I'm going to be back, I decided to go. That was our intro, Bakari Sellers. This is, you know, what's so funny. Trump going to Oklahoma, he's an arsonist next to a house fire. Now... We just had our entire country blown the fuck up. Today on our show, we have autonomous zones. People trying to, like, break away from the country. It's very amazing. My son, who's a libertarian, sent me a picture this morning. It, It's just amazing. We're doing fascist shit. <laughs> they're against fascism, but they're super fucking fascist. But... The worst part about this is that nobody knew about the Oklahoma riots. Nobody knew that until the Watchmen came out. Did any African American walk in the street literally know about the riots? And I would say, no, they did not know. They got it from the Watchmen. And that is so fucking hilarious. I mean, it just really is. Because you're basically losing your shit over something that you didn't even know happened. But we're in full-fledged excuse mode for everything today. The media, once again, to own Trump, we will lie. We will side with the most absurd concepts. The nation, offensive as it is, the liberal sensibilities, property destruction may be integral to the success of the current uprising. And somebody said it. Crystal knock, okay, but it's progressive. Because that's the same concept. We have the New York Times. The protests are coming for Paw Patrol. And everybody joked about it. We don't have it on our bingo card for 2020, but seriously, Paw Patrol? You got a problem with Paw Patrol. 
It's a fucking cartoon with pretend dog cops. But that's how far we've gone. But I must start my show with the most disgusting thing. A&E Caves, YPD is canceled. We're going to listen to a soundbite first. This is why it got canceled. Because of a man named Javier Ambler. Now, this didn't go national because they had body cams. And and understand, he was getting pulled over for bright lights. I've read so many ignorant, stupid comments online. I have been pulled over for bright lights at least five fucking times. Five times. I have LED lights on my truck. My LED lights are my fog lights, and they're legal. But I have cops pull me over because they think they're too bright. And then they check the regs and they go, okay, you're fine. The most important part about that, even as annoying as it was because I was traveling for a living, I pulled over. He didn't. He escaped and evaded for 20 minutes, eventually destroying his car, all the airbags deployed, Then he resisted more and wouldn't get out of the car. He was tased three times when they got him on the ground and they're just trying to cuff him. Understand this, Libs. If you're a Martian and you've escaped and evaded, they're going to cuff you. 
because you're under arrest because you freaking ran from the police. That's against the law. If you don't like that law and you think there should be no African Americans ever pulled over after they've ran from the police, then get with your liberal masters who are abounding to everything, or if you really, you're the master, and change the law. Have your city have a no pursuit law, and then you don't have the problem. But once he finally gets tased three times, is held down and trying to get cuffed, I have congenital heart condition. Has a heart attack and dies. I'm not being brutal. I'm not being racist. That's on you, dude. I am a fat lump of shit. If I probably tried to run from somebody, I probably would have a heart attack right now. Because I haven't worked out in like three years. So as a person that doesn't want to die, I wouldn't run. I'd stand and fight and get my ass kicked. Because I know my health condition. He chose all those actions. That's why he's dead. Not the cops. Not abuse. They were pinning him down because he was still resisting. He would not put his hands behind his back. He would not submit to their authority that is given to them by the law. So instead of changing laws, we're liberals. We go around laws. We just ignore laws. We fucking have sanctuary cities. We have fucking autonomous zones now. We just do whatever the fuck we want. Which, as you see, was our intro, because today's hypocrisy. Oh! Oh, no, 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 no. You can't do things. We can do it. We can burn down whole cities. You can go fuck yourself. So, in the process of all of this, Live PD was on the case. They have a policy where they delete tapes, because they don't want to help the cops, liberals. So it was deleted. It was never aired. It was out of season, so they were not airing it. Boom. Sounds pretty simple to me. Now, because of some statesman article, a liberal journalist who wouldn't let it go, it happened. So here's Dan Abrams from his website, Mediaite, which could be no more liberal. I'm banned from it for just commenting conservative. They banned me. Doesn't matter how I try to sign in. My name is Tony Koch. I'm banned. I'm fucking banned. Before Live PD was effectively canceled yesterday, I was bombarded with questions about Live PD fans, critics, as well as from friends and colleagues about exactly what happened to Live PD of the gruesome death of 40-year-old formal postal worker, Javier Ambler. Even though the show isn't coming back, I still feel it critical to address. Preparing to answer public when the show abruptly ended, Ambler was involved in a 22-minute pursuit with officers on March 28, 2019 in Texas, with culminating in his vehicle crashing. He was then tased four times. I'm sorry, I read an article that said three by police and heard screaming, save me, I can't breathe, because I'm responsive and then tragically died. After seeing the disturbing body cam footage of the incident, so many that rightly want to understand how this happened and the role LIPD played in an investigation, particularly in light of some inaccurate, misleading reporting on the incident. Before I get into that, let me say that having watched his parents and TV interviews, my heart breaks for them. And their loss. I wish there was more we, I could do for them, which leads to the question being asked of Live PD. Did Live PD capture the footage? Yes. Well, I've never saw the footage myself. Live PD was on the scene when it occurred. Did it occur during a live show? No. 
Why didn't LiePD air it? Because it involved a fatality, and they don't show fatalities. One of the first episodes of the first season, they walked into the house, person was dead on the ground. They realized, we can't film this even delayed, because family hasn't even been notified the person's dead. Was the only footage, was this the only footage of the incident? No, body cam. Does LiePD still have the footage? No, why not? Long-standing policy to only keep footage for a few weeks, absent a specific legal request to train it. The reason for this policy, so we did not become an arm of law enforcement to use LiPD videos to prosecute people. LiPD there was to chronicle it, not be part of the investigation. <clears throat> LiPD did just that for three months until LiPD, June 2019, when the Williamson County informed LiPD attorneys that their investigation was complete using the body cam footage that w- they had. But Travis County District Attorney Margaret Moore has said she's troubled that the show so far has produced no video. So why didn't LiPD turn over the video? The LiPD attorney informed me that because she never asked, nor did anyone in law enforcement or any other attorney, even the defense attorney. But knowing what happened on the video, how could the show not keep it just in case? Given what happened, I wish the tape had been preserved, but it was a policy. They don't want to be... He's a liberal. He respects the police now because he's watched how much bullshit they have to put up with from mostly African Americans who from the moment they get pulled over are Al Sharpton and Spike Lee combined. They know all the laws and they're filming. Nine, in in retrospect, do you think LiPD should have shown the video on the show? Yes. It would have been very difficult to watch, but an ongoing effort to show all sides of policing. I wish this had been aired. How are you feeling now the show has been canceled? I'm frustrated and sad because I truly believe in the mission of the show to provide transparency in policing. I completely agree with advocates calling for more body cams on officers and more uniform rules for their use. It seems to me that the antidote to bad policing and officers is transparency, and that means more body cams and more shows like Live PD. It's important to distinguish Live PD from cops that just presents highlights. Live PD showed the good, the bad, the ugly. Sometimes it was even boring, he said. But what you find in there, and this is why the show fucking got canceled. It has nothing to do with this Yavier, blah, 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 blah. It showed police in a positive light. It showed African Americans, some African Americans, some as horrible citizens. No driver's license, no registration, no insurance, riding fucking dirty. Every fucking time a policeman goes, come here, they run, oh, I thought I had a warrant. It shows why the police are in African-American areas, because it's more than we don't trust the police. They have been brainwashed to believe all these laws that we all have, that we all believe we should have. Shouldn't be able to beat somebody up, shouldn't be able to rob them. Shouldn't be able to steal, shouldn't be able to do any of that. All the things the media forgot during these looting, riots, peaceful protest bullshit. They don't think they should abide by it because they think it's angled towards them, just the black community. I will tell you as sure as I'm a fat guy. On Live PD, the majority of people that got hands on were white dudes, not blacks. Rednecks who evaded. People doing stupid shit. It was over 50-50 white. Dan Abrams would literally say every fucking week, I cannot believe how many people don't have anything. Just nothing. 
Not a goddamn thing. But the difference between whites and blacks on the show, only the hood rat, the white guy, said anything. They would just take their lumps because they knew they were wrong. Blacks, from the fucking moment they got pulled over, it's racism. You're a racist. I remember a lawyer was on the show. This was in Georgia. And she was just ignorant, rude. I'm a lawyer. This is a wrongful this, that. She was speeding. She got pulled over. I have high insurance, folks. I've had three tickets in the last five years. Minor, five miles over. They pulled me over. I got a ticket. One time I was pissed because a bunch of African-American kids were going past me. He pulls me over. He's a black cop who, who has been known to target just white people in the city. So there's a local Facebook that talks about him all the time. When he pulled me over, I didn't say, hey, are you doing this because I'm white? I didn't say shit to him. I knew I was doing 52 and a 40 fucking five. It's a petty pullover, but that's his job. I know he probably has quotas. Whatever. I didn't say a fucking word. I was pissed the fuck off. I took my damn ticket. And as he walked away, I go, I just hope you apply this to the guys that go past me next time. That's the only smart-ass thing that came out of my mouth. Because he's a fucking officer. But I get tickets. I'm white. I'm lily white in a Jeep. You can be no more white than the Jeep. Because black people give me shit and gay people give me shit. Because I drive a goddamn off-road-looking Jeep. But the point being is, by the time they get done with this lawyer lady who's saying she's being singled out because she's black, her ass was riding dirty with weed. They probably wouldn't have searched the car, but she was such a fucking bitch. They did. Because all of a sudden, they hanged out by that door a little longer because she wouldn't get out. Which was their procedure because they're on the side of a fucking highway. Wasn't they brought all black people out. They brought everybody to fuck out. And they got to the side of the road to have a conversation because they'd had an accident on the highway. They got hit by some dumbass that wasn't paying fucking attention and everybody fucking died. So she refused, played fucking Perry Mason, and all of a sudden that officer got the whiff. It's marijuana. And as much as she prostrated and say, I'm getting singled out, guess what? She was breaking the law. Once again, you don't like that African Americans? You don't like that liberal cities that are bucking it? Change the fucking law. Make weed legal. Or a ticket, which a lot of cities have went to. We saw it on PD. Here's a $50 ticket. Richland County, there's so many African Americans rolling around with fucking weed in that city. They don't arrest people. They give them a ticket, a bench warrant. You have to appear on this day, either fight it, pay it, whatever. That is a city going, okay, listen, we're, there's too much friction between the police and the fucking personnel or the citizens. Let's stop busting people from this. Give them a bench warrant until the state changes the law. And you hear people all the time bitching, well, some states have it, some states... Well, move to the state, then. Go move to a state that weed's legal. I would love to fucking toke the fuck up. I'd rather be smoking weed than taking Percocet for my chronic pain. But I live in Tennessee, and it's not legal. 
move or change the law. But instead, we cancel a show that was the best thing out there to show all these shithouse lawyers that it's all about black people. Mine's not. Cops are all abusive. And they're not. And in cases like this, have an example to show. Maybe the police were too physical with them, but this motherfucker said, fuck you, I'm not pulling over, I'm going to fucking evade for 22 minutes, endangering the whole community, fucking destroy my car, have to be tased four fucking times, because you won't submit to just get handcuffs. They're just going to cuff you, and you can be a Martian, you're going to get cuffed. White guys, I've seen them get tackled on the show running and cuffed for evading. I've seen them get yanked out of the car, cuffed. I've seen some state laws, including Texas. This vet guy got pulled the fuck over. There was an error in the system about his license plate. It was coming up a stolen license plate. They fucking surround the car, pointing guns, make everybody go out, back up, take a knee, get on the ground, get fucked. I mean, it's so over the top. That's a law. That's a procedure. It's Texas. It's like stealing a fucking horse. I didn't think it was right, but that's how they treated everybody. In California, Salinas, it almost takes a half an hour to go through that process because they're a fucking shitty police department that talk to each other while they're doing everything and slowly and methodically do everything because they fucking ran into bangers and been shot. And let's look at it last thing before I let Greg Guffett fill this on, and then we go into the rest of the media just now. Okay, they're on board. Cops are pieces of shit. If you're in an area in your city, and you're an African-American, and you know this part of the city is pretty fucking bad, people are fucking robbing, and since we know most black men die at the hands of black people, are you on guard? Do you have your fucking gun with you? I know I'm a white guy, and there's places that it doesn't, it isn't about race. I got my gun. When I go to Memphis, I got my gun. When I went to the fucking rural area of fucking Blytheville, I had my fucking gun. I never saw a policeman. And there was a lot of crime. So you know people are fucking bad people, and they rob, and it's usually arm robbery. Why would a cop not pat you down because I read another comment about that everybody gets patted down and they have a belief that you might have guns they're going to pat you down I've seen white guys patted down Latin guys patted down black people patted down Martians patted down if you're fucking in an area where there's crime you're getting patted down and there's three or four people and there's one cop. You're going to get cuffed. It isn't because you're black. It's because they're in an area by themselves. And the worst part of it is that there's cops that didn't do that. And they got their fucking ass kicked on the show. I didn't see any protests. I didn't see anything. My thoughts, this has nothing to do with Yavier Ambler. Because they never talked about the case. The guy was a fucking shithead that killed himself. Kind of like George Floyd. In my mind. Taking meth with laced with fentanyl. You're probably got a good shot of having a heart attack. 
This has to do because the show showed that everything they say, BLM and your liberal CNN media, is a fucking lie. Here's Greg Gutfeld. So Live PD has been pulled by A&E. The show was a hit revealing an unspeakable truth, that cops are human. Maybe that's why it was canceled, for showing the police as hardworking folks facing unpredictable and sometimes dangerous circumstances. And because that didn't fit the current narrative, it got pulled. And this reveals that the real censorship doesn't arrive via autocracy, but the emasculation of network execs. Here's an idea. Replace live PD with no PD. So will live PD come back? Not when the media sees police as somehow worse than criminals. And Live PD's crime is showing the reality of policing ignored by other networks, where cops are either relentlessly heroic or horrifyingly bad. And so A&E cancels it. Censorship out of fear. Do you know that up to 440,000 Americans die each year from preventive errors? That's the third leading cause of death in the U.S. So, shall we cancel Grey's Anatomy? And all those other hospital programs that show healthcare workers in an aspirational glow. And believe me, I say all of this knowing full well that Live PD was my competition. They put up great numbers every Saturday night. Yeah, it shows you the human condition, especially yeah. when you got to see that methamphetamine and heroin have really ravaged large parts of this country. As you said, you were right, it really humanizes the police. And it gave you a crash course in criminal law. Like, if you get pulled over with a small amount of cannabis, you don't have to resist or run away. It's just a ticket. Relax. Mm -hmm. And if you're cooperative and polite and respectful, the police usually give you a pass. Live PD was the truth. So it's, it's all in on cops are pieces of shit. New York Times, crime shows show privileged cops, ambiguities, and pathologies. Tatiana McGrath is writing for the New York Times. Hess writes in the Times about how the thought police are going to, after cop shows and movies, right down to toddler cartoons and Paw Patrol, which is fine with Hess. She doesn't like cops much at all. As a protest against race, racist police violence enter the third week, the changes are mounting against fictional cops too. And this is a good thing, a sign the revolution is here. Getting a little Maoist declaration. New and intense relationships with content has filled gaps, and now our quarantine consumption are being reviewed with an urgently political eye. The reckoning has come from newspapers, food magazines, Bravo reality shows, and police procedurals up against the wall pigs. Hess calls cops the show that branded suspects as bad boys. Well, a theme song did. Uh, bad boys presuming that because alleged perpetrators, alleged perpetrators, what you're going to do, they come for you, just isn't as catchy. Has a super serious about all this. How do we know? Only super serious people write sentence like the more salient critique of the crime genre is not how it depicts the police, but just how obsessively it privileges their ambiguities and pathologies over all other players of the criminal justice system, namely the people cops target as suspects. Protest-obsessed TV networks barely mention violence against cops. Because, you know, 1,042 minutes on this shit. Uh, Oakland, California, 19 seconds on ABC, 14 on CBS, 10 on NBC. St. Louis killing, four police officers shot, 29 seconds, 15, 14 on ABC, CBS, respectively. 
another one, Dorn, 39 seconds on uh, ABC, 22 on CBS, and the African American Network, NBC, 9 seconds. That was a black man, too. Now, I don't say that wrong. They have been all in since Obama with African Americans. So they have a show, at today's show, every morning, goes to just black people. No white people are on the TV screen. They're going all black people. I ain't got a problem with it. But they're pandering like a motherfucker is why I bring it up. Not because it's all black people. And they talk about what it's like to be black. Al Roker looks bored as fuck. Because he can't think he, there's white privilege. He took over for Willard Scott. An icon. And now he's an icon. So how how's that? I'm just treated like shit because I'm black going. Las Vegas, Nevada, Vada cop, 40 seconds, ABC, 7 on CBS, 0 on NBC, New York City, police officer stabbed, 38 seconds, 0 on CBS, 20 seconds. Then we have these great articles. Next time, call a pig. Minneapolis City Council has passed a measure to dismantle the police. Uh, Camerata, we did it. I mean, hear the loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors. I know this is, comes from a place of privilege because those of us for what the system is working, I think we need to step back and imagine what it would feel like to already live in a reality where calling the police may mean more harm is done. Bender seriously believes doing away with police and replacing them with their model will deter criminals. They've done it. It's like a peace, uh, city peaceful. I'm not even covering it because it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It'll end. The overwhelming number of police officers perform the duties of extinction. Clearly, some reforms are necessary, but the one voted by Minneapolis and other radical proposals goes too far. How much? How would such a model work? Will these new personnel to power to harass? Blah blah blah. It goes into it. Um, I'm trying to get to the part. Oh, here's some more data because this doesn't really fit their thing. Perhaps Bender should spend time in Chicago, where last weekend 18 people were gunned down in 24 hours, or Brooklyn, where 7 people were shot within 10 minutes. Living in mostly white city within a mostly white state appears to have blinded her to people, African Americans, who are most victimized by crime. According to FBI crime statistic in 2018, 2,925 African Americans were murdered in the U.S. 2,600 of the murders were African Americans, killing African Americans. Given these figures, it would appear the problem goes deeper than racism, and by dismantling the police, you're just going to have more crime. David McCall is a longtime friend and retired police. He served 20 years, blah, 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 don't fucking care. Where the fuck is this shit? The TV imagines street violence, he believes, are fueling public fear in 68 during demonstrations and riots in major city. Some young people began calling police officers pigs. The insult appeared to have created by were then called yippies who protested. They had a small pig as their presidential candidate. The prompted a reaction from supporters of law enforcement. The next time you're in trouble, call a pig. And that's starting to go off. Brooklyn, or Molotov cocktail, burning police car items sold on Google, Amazon, and Etsy. Listen to this shit. Some of the merchandise include caps with images of burning police cars on the front, t-shirt with the character for popular video game Animal Crossing, walking away from a burning police car, a fuck police t-shirt with a skull shoving a gun into a pig dressed as a police officer, and a sweatshirt with the label Eat Cops Not Pigs. Blue Lives Murder is also a shirt sold on all three platforms. This sometimes includes an image of a police officer beating outstretched hands. Other form of apparel include... Uh, they say the first pride was a riot, a burning pig car pentagram altarpiece, 
A police car is on a candle covering what appear to be flames. Another shirt with a label, I am the intolerant left. A baby onesie version of it sold on Google Shopping for just a penny more. For those concerned about catching COVID-19, a face mask with a person throwing a Molotov cocktail is sold on Etsy. A vinyl decal sticker of a Molotov cocktail with ACAB. Anti-Defamation League notes that ACAB stands all cops are bastards. Amazon Music has a new song out. It's fantastic. Kill a pig. But Jeff Bezos in a statement said, I'm happy to lose customers over our support for Black Lives Matter. Also this week, a kid, I'm just going to paraphrase, a kid's doing remote learning. A teacher sees a BB gun in his home on the wall. The cops come to the house. Boston Globe. Just it's just doesn't stop. Here it comes. Berkeley College of Music apologizes for allowing Boston police to use the bathroom. Globe reports officials said members of the campus community had expressed anger, pain, and feeling of betrayal because police were given access to the building, particularly because the concert halls closed to students due to COVID. Allowing police officers space was in no way meant to undermine Berkeley's support for BLM. Uh, Ransom said in a statement, they said the officers should not have been allowed to use restroom and the police would not be permitted to do so in the first future. We are deeply sorry for the impact this has on our community, perpetuating feelings of oppression, silencing, and marginalization because we let people pee. Our entire media, it, it, I, I, I just, I'm going to play them back to back. Media LIPD and Media Anti-Cop. This is just, this wasn't on my 2020 bingo card. But this idea that, oh, a documentary uh, would be totally different. In documentaries, every day, they show certain portions, they clip it, they put it together. We do that far less. I just want to be clear about that, Dan. You leave stuff out. Stuff gets what does that has mean? gotten left out. Whole story. What does that mean? You leave, you, I by mean, your own admission, there are things that are not shown and communicated on the program. Right, because we follow eight departments at once, and there is no way to do all of that at one time in a three-hour show. That is true. This event whatever also reason, didn't happen. Dirt- what do you mean, whatever the reason? I mean, just think about that. I mean, so, so when someone says, when there are three press conferences playing in a news event, and someone says, how did you guys not play all three news events? And you say, well, we had to make a choice between the events. And I know you don't like the comparison to news, but that's a reality. It's not a matter of liking. It's a matter of apples to oranges. But I guess, Dan, I'll just be honest. Listening to you, I, I'm hearing like an extremely legalistic argument, which I guess I don't find particularly surprising. But we're talking about the death of someone and the video of someone. And yes, I hear you saying, well, there's other video of it. Well, there are potentially other incidents where there's not body camera video of something. And when Live PD was granted access for, yes, in part entertainment value to go along with police officers, it just it gives the sense of kind of hiding behind policies and washing your hands and not having sort of a social responsibility when you're capital. I mean, you're sort of utilizing the people who are in, right? You're using the stories of the people who are in these videos. And I hear you're saying it's transparency, but I don't know that it's social responsibility. 
Yeah, then I think you're not listening to what I'm saying. Um, because again, oh, I'm hearing I you loud you, and clear, okay, Dan. All right, all right. Your position is that if you can't show everything, it's not worth showing. And I would just disagree uh, with that as a concept. And again, I think that you are underestimating how much time and effort every show went into standards and practice. First, it was the show Cops, and now A&E has canceled the police reality series Live PD. It's one of the latest cop shows to get pulled from TV as protests continue over the uh, George Floyd death. Dan Abrams is the now former host of Live PD and the founder of the Law and Crime Network. Dan, good afternoon to you, and let's try and work our way through this. Why was it canceled? Tell us. Well, you know, I'm not certain exactly why. It was obviously due to pressure uh, to cancel the show based on the current environment uh, that we are in. Now, again, I had thought the show would survive. Um, I had thought that we can both support the important protests and calls for change that are going on around this country and say that YPD and transparency amongst police officers and police departments can and should be a part of that. But in the end, uh, the decision was made to end the show. So here's what I appreciated about your show. You, you you detailed for viewers how tough the job is for officers on patrol. And how uncertain it is uh, for officers on patrol. They just don't know what's going to be around the next corner. They don't know what the next call could be. They don't know who's in the car uh, that they're pulling over. But I should say that also part of the show was seeing officers at times do things people didn't approve of. And that's part of transparency. That's part of showing what happens in the life of a police officer. Police officers make mistakes, sometimes worse. And I would think that that's an important part of continuing this effort to say we need body cams on police officers. And I would have thought uh, we need more things like live PD. Okay, a couple more things I want to work through here. Cancel culture, you know that's active in America today, PC America. Is that the reason why this show was canceled, do you think? I don't know. You know, I wasn't part of the discussion. I'm the guy who tweeted out uh, a couple days ago, don't worry, the show's not going away. Um, Because I was convinced it wasn't going away. I was being assured that it uh, it was going to survive. And look. But I also understand that that A&E and some corporate partners under enormous pressure uh, in an environment like this, uh, where uh, people are very critical of of the police. So, you know, I don't know exactly why it happened. Uh, I wasn't part of it, but I'm disappointed. Okay, a couple more points I want to raise here. Call for number two, guys, Wall Street Journal. Uh, Dan Henninger earlier today in his piece, The Media Self-Censors. It says, in the past week, the editorial page editor of the New York Times, the editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the editors of Bon Appetit magazine and the young women's website, Refinery29, have been forced out by the staff and owners of their publications for offenses regarded as at odds with the beliefs of the current protests. Are you on that, uh, I guess, are you next on that list that, that Henninger writes about? You know, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think that each of those cases are a little bit different. Um, I've been pretty outspoken um, in my views on the fact that I think that uh, some of these places, like the New York Times, uh, should be willing, ready, and able to have an op-ed from Tom Cotton. They want to fact-check it, okay, but the idea that they, they shouldn't even have uh, his position 
uh, in the paper to me seems like a mistake. Um, again, my view in general is let people decide for themselves. Provide people with more information, provide people with fair information, provide people with opinions, and then they can decide for themselves. And it is true that increasingly in this country we are seeing people isolating on both sides and getting into their bunkers and they don't seem to, to want to hear anything from okay. anybody else. Okay. If you're right, then it really extends to this whole conversation that we're having in every street corner in America about, uh, about a PC world. Now, th- there was an incident that occurred in March of 2019 uh, where an African-American was pursued by officers and apparently your TV crews were there. Uh, it wasn't during a time when you were airing. It was, uh, I guess, off-season. I think that's the correct way to phrase it. Um, and apparently your policy on behalf of A&E is to destroy the tapes. Now, there's body cam video that still exists among the police department in Texas that is still out there. Do you believe the destruction of those tapes led to the termination of your show? Yes or no? I think it was part of it. Um, I don't know that it was singularly responsible. But again, I think it's important to put that into to context, is that it wasn't just that someone decided to destroy the tapes. They destroyed every single tape after a certain period of time because they did not want to start having to pick sides. They didn't want to have to start saying, well, now law enforcement wants all of our videos to help prosecute people that they're arresting. Or a defense attorney then saying, I want the video to do this with it. We were there to chronicle what was happening with policing. But I will say that in this incident, even though there is body cam that was available, um, I wish that we had saved that tape. Um, I wish that the policy hadn't been so strict. I wish that there had been an exception so that we could provide it. I never saw the tape. Do you believe then, Dan, just have about 30 seconds left. Yeah. It's an important question here. Do you believe A&E did not want to take the chance to put the show back on the air because of this very tender issue that still exists out of Austin, Texas to this day? I, I don't know. I mean, again, all I know is that I, I'm convinced it was part of the issue. And I think that there were a lot of people who were angry. And there are a lot of people who have very good reasons to be angry. I just don't know that taking it out on live PD as opposed to the district attorney or the people who were investigating this with the body cam that they had was the right way to go. Dan, thanks for coming on today, and we will follow it and see where it goes next, if anywhere. Thank you. Dan Abrams, thank you. I'm time. All eyes are on Seattle, and Trump sees an opportunity to make everything that's happening there and really everywhere about his political opponents and their radical ranks. His move calls to dominate the people on the streets, dangling troops again. Wonder what effect that will have on people who say they are tired of being dominated. On the same day that the head of the Joint Chiefs apologized for even the suggestion of military presence in our politics, Trump, tone deaf once again, doubled down. Seattle would be so easy to solve. We have to dominate the streets. You can't let that happen, what happened in New York City, the damage they've done. You have to dominate the streets. If you think about it, we're dominating the street with compassion because we're saving lives. Dominating the street with compassion. If that doesn't tell you everything that Trump doesn't know 
I don't know what will. When I say he is tone deaf, I mean to calls for equity and justice. That is because he is singing a different tune. It's more like a dog whistle, right, to his base. And too many of them want to see the people who are begging for change put down. Now, despite the fact that this all began violently, right now, it's entirely peaceful. In fact, you can see these protesters behind me. And in fact, let's pan the camera on, Chris, because it really has the feel of a street festival. They're serving food down there. They're giving out free food. There's medical tents. People are camping out. They have movies at night. There's live music. So that's what the situation is like now. But right now, Chris, there appears to be no strategy in place on the part of the city to take back this uh, police department. We don't know how long this is going to go for, but but they seem to be content at the moment just to let them uh, have the run of the place. Let's be very clear about this. It will be Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump who will be the lone protectors of the chokehold. Mitch McConnell, the champion of chokeholds. Hey, Mitch, guess what? I, I, can't, I can't speak Russian, so get an interpreter to tell this to you, if you will. Yeah. Mitch, uh, in, a, in America, uh, we have elections every two years, and uh, you have an election coming up right now, and you've got some problems because the kids are all calling you Moscow, Mitch. Uh, you're going to be chokehold, Mitch, next. Uh, the kids are probably going to start calling you that. But you're going to be asked about it on the campaign trail. And a race that's going to be a lot tougher than you think it is, Mitch. Really is. All, all, of, those, so all, all of those oligarchs, you know, that you've been cavorting with, all of those oligarchs that you've been hanging with. People kind of know all about these, it. They, yeah, it's out there, it's Moscow. Out. <laughs> it's out there, Moscow. And as bad as the nickname Moscow Mitch it is, stuck Moscow so Mitch, chokehold Mitch probably will be oh. worse for you in Kentucky. Well, there's been this, this call to defund the police all over America now. Your bill does not address defunding the police, but there seems to be a fair amount of confusion over what that means. What does that mean to you, defunding the police? I think we all need to be public safety advocates. And while many people might not be able to get beyond those words, those three words, the reality is, is we have a huge degree of commonality in this country. Then do you also believe that resources that have been allocated uh, for certain things should be redirected. Perhaps uh, budgets in New Jersey and New York and in other major metropolitan areas, specifically police budgets, are they too large? Should that money be redirected to social programs? Well, look, we as a society have defunded things. We've defunded public education in America uh, in painful ways that have cost, have, have less cost. If you think education is expensive, uh, uh, try ignorance, which is far more expensive. We have defunded mental health care. And so we as a society have to make explicit decisions about what investments are. Tonight, more evidence of police violence as the nation grapples with policing in America. But some officials pushing back, saying officers are now being targeted. Early this morning in California, an officer shot when someone opened fire on their police station, hitting a squad car before getting away. The suspect still at large. And as I mentioned at the top tonight, there is an urgent hunt at this hour for a gunman who fired on a police station in Paso Robles, California, shooting a deputy in the face. And then a body found a mile away, someone shot dead. Authorities do believe it's related. That community put on lockdown. And ABC's Will Carr is in California. Tonight, police are on the hunt for an active shooter wanted for attacking a police station in California. Shot northeast of the building. 
Police described the shooter as a male in his 20s or 30s. They're urging residents to shelter in place. The gunfire erupted early this morning around 3.15 in downtown Paso Robles. Within the past couple minutes, authorities released a picture of the gunman. They say without a doubt, he set out to kill police officers. And this is the third time that members of law enforcement have been ambushed here in California in just the past couple of weeks. Now understand the fervor is so bad and we're pandering for everything. The NBC Black Entertainment Network now decided to confront Tim Scott. Are you the token African-American in the conservative party? But before I play it, and we're going to go to a music break, which is COVID, because I'm not covering it today. You'll hear COVID soundbite. Tim Scott delivers scathing rebuke of leftists throwing racial slurs. Tim Scott shot back at detractors Wednesday, exposed a Democratic colleague's hypocrisy on race after he allegedly been subject of racially charged insults on Twitter. Scott, who was... Ta- okay, I don't really give a fuck. Uh, Wednesday tweet that he had seen the name dragged through the mud on social media over the past 24 hours. The us- Twitter users had allegedly referred to Scott as token, called a boy, arguing that he's being used, a response of bewildering Scott said, let me get this straight. You don't want the person who has faced, faced racial profiling by police, then pulled over a dozen times, or been speaking out for years drafting this? And don't throw, you're the only black guy they know at me either. There are only two black Democratic senators. Stop pretending that there's some huge racial diversity gap in the Senate. Ask my Dem colleagues what their staffs look like. I guarantee you won't like the answer. The senator went on to rebut claims that Democratic Party is the only party sympathetic to Representative Black. And don't throw, you're the only black guy they know at me either, he wrote in a follow-up tweet. There are only two black senators. He then appeared to expose the hypocrisy of Democratic colleagues in the Senate. suggesting they, despite the rhetoric, asked my dead colleagues about their staff. You won't like the answer because they're lily white. The thing that is disgusting me, and I was trying to word what I was about to say in my head... What the actual fuck happened to the media that shit that they see on Twitter becomes news now? The mob is now news. Folks, New York Times, this morning Stephen Miller and thousand and a thousand what they really mean think pieces died. New York Times. Yes, we mean literally abolish the police. Abolish the police. What the fuck? I don't understand. So, we're going to go into the NBC soundbite. Uh, fuck COVID. On your uh, intro back in, you're going to hear two soundbites. Ah, fuck it, I'll play the COVID. So, let me get this right. About to hear NBC call him a token, because they read it on Twitter. You're going to hear a music break, which will be the COVID shit, because we've got to go back to lockdown. Jimmy Fallon and Blitzer say so. And then when you come in, you're going to hear Chris Cuomo talk about a bunch of racial data. And Jim Scudo talk about voter suppression, because now they're they're getting everything racial. We're going to cover everything that we've ever heard on Twitter. But understand, everything you're hearing out of Cuomo and Scudo's mouth, it's a fucking lie.
you have faced a fair amount of criticism, especially over the past few days, uh, because you are the, the only black Republican senator. Uh, some have said that your party is using you. They've even thrown around the word uh, token as well. Your response to that criticism? Well, I am also the only person in my conference who's been racially profiled while black. I'm the only one in my conference that's stopped seven times in one year as an elected official, perhaps the only one in my conference wearing this Senate pin that was stopped from coming into the building. So if there's someone in the conference who understands discrimination and profiling, it's me. It's the reason why I asked to lead this charge, because it is a personal issue, it is the right issue, and frankly, I think it helps to have someone who's been a victim of this situation and who still has a tremendous respect for where our country can go together. So I, I shrug those comments and criticisms off. But you got to know, if you're a black Republican, you're like a unicorn. People are going to criticize you when you wake up, when you go to sleep. If you say you like apple pie and football, there's a lot of critics for that, too. So God bless their souls. The U.S. can expect another 100,000 Americans will die from the virus by September. A grim new projection as the country approaches 2 million confirmed cases. This morning, Miami's beaches reopened. In New Jersey, up to 100 people can now gather outdoors. And this weekend, NASCAR will allow some fans back in the stands. Nationally, our daily new case count is falling, but is there devil in the detail. Hospitalizations are up in at least a dozen states since Memorial Day. And in 19 states, the average daily new case count is rising. A lot of people out there apparently think it's over. It's clearly not over by any means. As you say, it's probably going to get a whole lot worse. 19 states, uh, Lena, are actually seeing their number of cases go up right now. And since Memorial Day weekend, hospitalizations are up in at least a dozen states. And the daily death toll is still very high. Uh, so do parts of the country need to do a, a 180 right now, re-implement some of those safety measures uh, that we saw originally in the form of lockdowns. Sobering new data about coronavirus-related hospitalizations. <laughs> Up in at least a dozen states since Memorial Day weekend. In Arizona, 79% of the state's ICU beds are currently in use. We're seeing more and more reopenings. Los Angeles County just announcing today that music, film, and TV production can resume on Friday, obviously with restrictions and safety protocols, Wolf. But again, as more things reopen, there are increasing warnings from experts. So, so, uh, so disturbing. As you know, coronavirus hospitalizations, they're up in at least a dozen states. Health officials have feared uh, we would see spikes following the Memorial Day uh, activity. It takes a week or two incubation uh, to, to see those results. Do you fear we're starting to see the negative effects of relaxed uh, restrictions? I saw Trump will be holding his first rally since coronavirus in Tulsa next Friday. Which brings us to a new segment called, Couldn't You Just? And now, couldn't you just? Hey, President Trump, I hear you're holding a rally next week on Juneteenth, a day that commemorates the end of slavery. And I hear you're holding it in Tulsa, home to possibly the worst incident of racial violence in American history. Here's a question for you. Couldn't you just not do that? Of all the cities on all the days, couldn't you just hold it in Houston on Arbor Day or in Boise on Flag Day. Also, timing. Donald, we're in the middle of a pandemic. 
Couldn't you just wait before you say it and spray it all over Oklahoma? And I know you refuse to issue social distancing guidelines for your rally, but hey, if it's like some of your past gatherings, couldn't you just admit crowding might not be a problem? So look, Donald, before you pop out of your bunker for Palooza, couldn't you just rethink the plan? I mean, couldn't you just let the protests have their moment and make room for people who can help us through the pandemic? Couldn't you just? Couldn't you just? Couldn't you just? This has been Couldn't You Just? Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Move outside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Move outside and let the man go through. Let the man go through. Yeah, Jim. I mean, look, this is the second time that that primary had been postponed due to the pandemic, and anything that could have gone wrong, at least here in Fulton County, did. Uh, we were talking about the shortage of poll workers. And part of that was because uh, so many of the people who work the polls in this country are older Americans. They're vulnerable to COVID-19. Abby Phillip, let's be frank here. Consolidation of polling places has been used as an effort to deliberately limit voter access. We should mince words about that. Is, Is there evidence that in the state of Georgia that was deliberate? You know, we are still looking into that. But, Jim, you're absolutely right that there have been historically efforts to consolidate polling places. But one of the things that's happening with the coronavirus is that uh, in Georgia, in Fulton County, we were told that some of these polling uh, locations, maybe they were schools or churches, those uh, facilities actually did not want to host polling sites because they feared contaminating their their facilities uh, with the coronavirus. And then on top of that, uh, if they had uh, polling workers who pulled out at the last minute because they got sick or because they were elderly or they were afraid of getting uh, sick with the coronavirus, that exacerbated an already existing problem. I want to ask you about voting. You, you, you saw just the, the, the horrendous voting lines in Georgia yesterday. Uh, there, there have been issues there about reducing the number of polling places and whether that uh, disproportionately affects black neighborhoods. And, and you have other states around the country pursuing voter ID laws, which also uh, tend to disproportionately affect African-American voters. Are you concerned that today, in the year 2020, there are efforts in this country to suppress the votes of black Americans? I don't believe nowadays we have systemic racism. You said you don't believe systemic racism? I do, I, I do not. At all in the U.S.? I do not. You don't think there's any systemic racism against African-Americans in the United States? I would say it again. I do not. All right, this isn't a believing in something like the tooth fairy. All right, it's about fact. He is wrong. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of fact. And it is fact that you see everywhere you look in black and white. The immediate proof is in the cabinet. Trump has one black cabinet member and one black domestic policy advisor. Kudlow's the president's economic advisor. So let's start with the economy. White people make more money than blacks do, period, even if they have the same level of education, even if they're in the same jobs. In fact, that fundamental divide is as wide now as it was the year Dr. King was shot. 
so much for Trump's economy being the best ever for black people. Not relatively. And relativity matters. Now, let's, let's break this down. I won't talk about Scott because we already did it. The COVID, the running around with Arizona data, even though everybody knows it's the 19 areas, my sister literally had a briefing on it. The 19 areas are liberal cities. That's where the spikes in COVID on. But you're not hearing that because once again, Trump wants to start doing his rallies again. We fucking can't have that. No. So that's the COVID. Scudo. Cuomo did it, then Scudo did it, and they literally have reported on it themselves, their new side of the office, and it's not true. Nothing he said is true. And the best part of what you just heard, because it kind of piggybacks into, you know, racist stuff, and leads us right into Seattle and the defund, everything Cuomo said was data from 2016. Donald Trump wasn't president in 2016. They're even talking about jobs that he's going to be no better than Obama without the, but it was the global pandemic. Because it's election year, so we're just going to lie. Today you have Chris Cuomo, I'm a news guy, and he's going to the air just lying. He's just lying. If you took a poll right now in a voter's booth where there's nobody knows what you vote, is there systemic racism? The majority of blacks would say there isn't. The youth believe that shit because that's all they've ever heard. But the majority of this country would say, no, there isn't. We've done more than any country to right the wrongs of slavery and Jim Crow. Sadly, slavery and Jim Crow was done by Democrats. If we didn't have the Democrats here, we wouldn't have had the problem. So just put that in your fucking pipe and smoke it. So let's get to the defund. I think I fucked these sound bites up, so when you hear the sound bites, it's going to be a media one and then just an autonomous zone one, because we literally, in Portland, which isn't being reported on, but Seattle, they have taken over the city, and our media, as we'll hear in the media one, oh, they're all, this is fine, it's a party, this, there's nothing wrong with people taking over part of a city, because they'll go with anything, the left does. Anything. If they were taking babies out in the street and the, killing the firstborn, all on Pontius Pilate, they'd be like, well, we, global warming, we don't need those kids. They'd find a reason. So they're all down with this shit. In here, or if I fucked it up in the media one, as they're reporting, we're going to have Julio Rosa who really is there and saying it's not peaceful, and the chief of fucking police saying there's raping and there's robbery and they won't let cops in, and they're not doing anything about it. That's not the case. I'm not trying to create dissension. I know you're a peaceful man. I'm not, bro, I'm not even, I'm not even near what you're hearing, though. Huh? Huh? I said you're not hearing that, but why are you doing that? Bro, I'm not trying to put no decision. All I, the only thing I said is on the tape. Look, let me, let's stop the stream. I'll stop the stream right now. You don't try to shut the black community out. I'm black myself. No, but you have to vote. 
The thing about it is, the bickering and back and forth. What kind of change do you get from bickering and back and forth? Matter of fact, let me take this motherfucker mask off. What kind of change do you get from bickering back and forth? Check this out. I'm not done talking, boy. I'm not done. I'm You won't let me talk. in the area. They've gone from just over five minutes to about 18 minutes. Rapes, robberies, and all sorts of violent acts have been occurring in the area that we're not able to get to. So it is not a right for us not to be able to declare our officers here. Chief Best spoke with protesters several times, and she and command staff evaluated the building and found someone did breach the facility. Uh, there is some damage, and it clearly is a mess around here, so we need to do a lot of cleanup. Julio Rosa, who's actually on the fucking ground. Tensions are high in Chaz after some officers came in to enter the East Precinct. Some of the crowd wanted to make sure nothing happened to the officers. Other wanted to prevent the officers from entering the zone. Arguments are breaking out amongst the crowd. And I didn't fuck it up because that was all good shit there. Tensions are still high as speakers are coming, arguing on what to do next in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Don't try to shut the black community out. A lot of people are inside the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone listening to people speak. It's pretty peaceful right now. Some more items have been added to the no cop op shop, a sign they do not accept cash or donations as kindness is our currency. Defending your new nation. One, build a missiles defense system that repels incoming tear gas. Two, start a system of revenue generation that doesn't involve extortion. Three, recruit people for security, give them weapons of authority, but they are definitely not police. That first thing was the sheriff. They, the first thing they did was the sheriff and he beat the fuck out of somebody. Hey, Major Mayor Jenny, are you ready for the Neville blow-up? No, of course not. You're pathetic, and so is Governor Inslee. They're beating people who step over the line. This is on video. Do your job. Steve Krakauer, incredible CNN segment, because you knew they're the first on the ground. To this say this is peaceful. And during the shot, they're literally... Somebody's trying to take the fucking camera. In the middle of the shot. 
And then a bonus sound by Cuomo. How long do you think Seattle in those few blocks looks like this? I don't know. We could have a summer of love, the mayor says. There's food being served. There's a medical tent. People are camping out. There's live music at night. They're watching movies. So it's sort of a, you know, a, a contradictory situation. On the one hand, it began with force, but right now it's peaceful. Anderson? And if the president were to, quote, go in as he's threatened, um, what... I mean, what would the response be? I mean, I, I, it, I mean, can people come and go from this area? I mean, is this an area that has been, I mean, the president makes it sound like this is an area that has been taken over uh, and is being ruled by, you know, somebody, you know, is being ruled by, by you know, by, uh, I don't know what, how he would describe them. Everybody, everybody. Yeah, well, well, folks can certainly come and go, and this area has been traditionally uh, a community, a neighborhood where there's been a bastion of free speech and people have come together. Now, if in fact there is going to be federal officers or federal law enforcement come to this area, it is not going to be a pretty situation. These people have made it clear that unless there's some kind of major reform, and remember, they want to see this police department defunded or even abolished, short of some type of major concession, they're not going to leave voluntarily. And we should point out that Washington is an open carry state. And no doubt uh, some of these protesters are armed, Anderson. So uh, you have to worry about the potential for bloodshed, the potential for violence, if, in fact, they're going to try to remove these people by force. Anderson? I, I want to just get a clear sense of, of this, though, uh, Mayor. Uh, why do you believe the president chose to talk about domination uh, in the face of what's happening, not just in your city, but in many instances when it comes to what the remedy is uh, for the unrest in the country right now. What do you think this is about for him? I think it shows a complete lack of understanding of why people are in the street. They're in the street fighting a system of domination, and he doesn't understand that. And his response is always one that's bellicose and militaristic, but he doesn't honor the military in that way either, as you've seen from the line of generals that have disputed him. So I think he says dominate because he is totally does not understand what is happening in America, and he is desperately trying to start the old fights and the old divisions that put him in power in the first place. How long do you think Seattle in those few blocks looks like this? I don't know. We could have the summer of love. Jesus fucking Christ. Mayor Jenny Durkin seems charmed by the autonomous zone. Daily Caller, Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin says that the so-called autonomous zone has been autonomous my whole lifetime. We have a, had a peaceful demonstration across the city. Oh yes, Seattle, known for its peaceful demonstrations. Not too long ago, she was tweeting about violence and destruction. Another one by her. I want to acknowledge that much of the violence and destruction both here in Seattle and across the country has been instigated and perpetuated by white men. Daily Caller again. Jenny Durkin, President Trump wants to tell a story about domestic terrorists of radical agenda and are promoting a conspiracy that fit in law and order initiative. It's simply not true. Somebody said, and just like that, the left has officially left the world of reality. Associated Press snubs both attest to Seattle barricade, autonomous boat zone, being festive. Stephen L. Miller, we were told by the New York Times this morning it was a free speech zone. Weird. 
Julio Rosa, occupiers forced the guy who was live streaming inside the zone. The crowd was calling him a white supremacist, though the man being pushed out says he's simply an anti-abortion advocate. The crowd chanted, who doesn't matter? This motherfucker. Free food, free speech, and free police inside Seattle's autonomous zone. That was the AP. Associated Press article again. This is news. This is a news agency. Trump fumes as protesters stake out festive zone in Seattle. Snopes. Following days of violent confrontation with protesters, police in Seattle have largely withdrawn from the neighborhood where protesters have created a festive-like scene that has President Trump fuming. Following days of violent confrontations, that sounds like CNN's Brian Seltzer trying to tell us Manhattan looks great because the plywood coming down, the city put the trash can back on its corner after they removed it so protesters wouldn't set it on fire. Remember, so once again, let's get this straight. Men with guns show up in Lansing to protest Michigan lockdown, shoot no one, commit no crimes, vandalize nothing, get temperature checked, and they're domestic terrorists who stormed the Capitol while festive goers managed to and, capture and occupy a police precinct in Seattle and the surrounding blocks. Yeah. Fact check. Warlord love festivals. True festive zone. Another article. Protesters took over City Hall after a council member unlocked the door. This is what you get with Democrats. This, this is what they want. Anarchy. It makes you think that all this time they've been defending Antifa, because we have that today, a bunch of Antifa soundbites. They were doing it because they believe in it. Oliver Darcy concerned that right-wing media is giving Seattle Barricade a bad image. His tweet. If you're being, if you've been getting your news from right-wing media, you probably think our militant Antifa activists have seized the section of Seattle. But the mayor's office tell me city officials have not interacted with the armed Antifa militants at this time. They got an official sign. Welcome to Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. It looks like a city sign. Cam Edwards. If you've been getting your news from CNN, you probably think potatoes can talk. They're openly talking about being armed. There's pictures of people being armed. It is. There's a map. They put out a map. Big titty Antifa girl. Here's an explanation of what the fuck's going on right now in Seattle. The Capitol Autonomous Zone looks amazing. Y'all keep it up. I was going to play her soundbite. All she's doing is showing her titties. And it just shows all this stuff is fucking, like, in vogue now. It's cool to be with Antifa. Brian Seltzer shares New York Times article claiming no violence or looting in Seattle and face plants over Raz Simone's videos. He's the sheriff. Brian Seltzer. In Seattle, there was no violence or looting, and the city fire chief wandered around the area talking with protesters about their needs and collaborative fat path forward. What has emerged is an experiment in life without police, part street festival, part commune. Hundreds have gathered to hear speeches, poetry, and music. On Tuesday night, dozens of people sat in the middle intersection to watch 13th, the Ava Dunvey film. On Wednesday, children made chalk drawings in the middle of the street. One block had a designated smoking area, another had a medic station, and the no-cop co-op People would pick up free lacrosse smoking water. 
Yet they're begging for shit. They already ran out. Everybody took the goddamn food. Stacy collectively guilty for nothing. Stop lying. They have self-declared armed warlord at checkpoints. My God, you people are despicable. Christopher L. Ruffo, this, this Chaz is devolving into warlordism. Rapper Raz Simone has been patrolling the barricade with an AK-47 and a pistol and began assaulting residents who disobey him. We're the police now, says his crew. We are the leaders. I thought they didn't want fucking leaders. Here's another video of Simone allegedly assaulting another protester in the same evening. And here's a video of Simone allegedly harassing a woman in the family, an organized prostitution scheme. Keep in mind, Simone and his accomplices are now operating as a de facto police force. That was the soundbite I played. Let's remember, face it, Oregon building takeover is terrorism. Right-wing media said Antifa militants have seized part of Seattle. Local authorities say otherwise. That's CNN. When some people did it in Oregon, they're terrorists. When the people do it now, it's right wing. And let's go back to the Tea Party. All right, remember the Tea Party. This is when the hypocrisy started. This is when you can't protest unless you protest what we think. Mike Lachance, now leftists are engaging in riots and armed occupation. Let's look back at how Democrats and the media talked about the Tea Party. Democratic Senator Tom Harkin in 2013. Harkin, Tea Party is every bit as dangerous to the nation as the Civil War. New Yorker, 2010, dangerous anti-pluralism. Newsweek, loud, mad, and dangerous in 2010. Politico, 2011, Biden likened Tea Party to terrorist. Now he's saying this is peaceful. Politico, 2011 again, the Tea Party terrorist tactics. TTT. New York Times 2011, the Tea Party's War on America by Joe Nassero. There's so much more, but you get the point. During the Tea Party protests, no one was killed, no business or lives were destroyed. That's what we're seeing now. And the media thinks no one remembers a thing. Newsweek writer report that Republicans pounced on to fund the police movement in hearing. Republicans pounced at the opportunity of public to cry to defund the police movement. Today, in a hearing on police brutality reform, a proceeding that featured the brother of George Floyd. Now you just got to say, George Floyd, and everybody has to shut up. It is pure insanity, said Representative Jim Jordan from Ohio, ranking meta Judiciary Committee radical and dangerous proposal. as how Representative Mike Johnson, Republican from Louisiana, described the idea. Dana Loesch, pounce alert. Another person, at least they didn't seize. It's a pounce day. It's not a seize day. Here's our media. It's going to start with the LA Times guy. Looting is racist. Is not racist. Saying looting is racist. I'm sorry, let's say it again. LA Times. If you say looting, you're a racist. AOC on the fun. She sounds like a kid. Media promoting it. And politicians ducking it, and then three or four fucking sound bites of the media just saying, This is okie dokie, artichokey, and oh my god, Trump might use this. That's bad. One of the active debates we had over the past week was about the use of the word looting to describe 
the destruction of property uh, and the very much the feeling among the uh, black journalists at the Los Angeles Times who frankly educated the rest of us to the fact that uh, looting had a pejorative racist connotation and that uh, comparing it to the kind of behavior of the police and uh, the kind of behavior that we witnessed uh, really was a false equivalency, and yet it was one that we were making as journalists if you picked up a copy of our paper. And so that's a great conversation to have. I mean, the word riot is very similar. You know, uh, th there is concern that it is automatically labeled as a riot if it is African Americans who are protesting, but it's not labeled as a, as a as riot when you see the same kind of destruction after a concert or you know after a sporting event. So there are there are words that have that association. So I appreciate the fact that you're having that kind of discussion at the LA Times. We're increasingly hearing this conversation about the, this idea, this traditional idea in the press of neutrality versus what some are saying now when it comes to subjects like race where journalists are called on uh, to speak with what they are calling moral clarity, uh, Norm Perlstein, even if that means they've stepped from pure neutrality into expressing an opinion. I think there is some uh, parallel to... Uh, during the Vietnam period when journalists like David Halberstam uh, were certainly um, letting their opinions into their journalism, and I think it was for the better. But, but, but why is it necessary to take the money from the police? I mean, I understand your argument, the argument you're making about expanding social services, investing in social services, but the research does show that more police on the street means less crime. Well, I think there's uh, one question that, that is interesting here is that um, when it comes to funds, it's not always just about the number of officers in the street. It's about these police precincts that have tanks, that have military weaponry, and frankly have a degree of um, that have a degree of, of of material resources and war like um, war like weaponry that people ask, why does a, a local police precinct have this in the first place? So when we talk about defunding, it can show up in multiple ways. Additionally, the other way that, that we talk about, um, you know, in this is that when people ask for health care, when they ask for housing, when they ha ask for education, people always say, how are you going to pay for it? And so what it's what this movement is doing, first and foremost, it's important to note that this is directed at city councils and mayors. And so you should look to see if your city is having this conversation. Um, but first and the and the other question here, too, is I think and I think it's a valid question for people to ask. What should be our number one budget priority at all? Does any agency uh, deserve to be funded more than almost all the others for health care, housing and youth combined? But what do you so think? Meantime, the protesters across this country say they will press forward. And in Seattle tonight, demonstrators now seizing a six-block area outside a police station, creating what they're calling a police-free zone. The so-called autonomous zone now complete with barricades, a clinic, and free food. The chief says police now can't respond to all the calls for violent crimes in the neighborhood. President Trump calling on the governor and mayor to take back your city now. If you don't, I will. Seattle's mayor firing back. Make us all safe 
Go back to your bunker. President Trump is still calling for an aggressive response to demonstrators, this time in Seattle, after ridiculing Washington state's governor for being taunted and played by protesters. Meanwhile, the president today lashing out at protesters, including in Seattle, where police are clashing with demonstrators in encampments. The president warning the Democratic governor there, take back your city now. If you don't do it, I will. This is not a game. Governor, I'd like to ask you about uh, what's going on in Seattle. There's this uh, thing called the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. What's your thought on that? The fact that the protesters have taken that over and not allowing people to come and go freely? Uh, regarding well, that's news to me, so I'll have to reserve any comment about it. I, I, have, not, I have not heard anything about that from any credible source. <laughs> not that you're not credible. It's just like before I... Spouse an opinion I should know of which I speak. <laughs> yeah, as far as the National Guard, uh, how long are you going to keep them there? And with, if there is a, a takeover of a street in Seattle where they're barricading and keeping people out, the protesters are, would you want whoever to be involved? Uh, you know, that's a hypothetical. Look, at, we've got to have safety. I'm sure that people will find a way to have public safety everywhere. And, in the state, I'm confident of that. Uh, the the National Guard is demobilizing. Over two thirds of them were demobilized of yesterday. I don't know if they're completely demobilized at this point or not, but if not, that'll be shortly, I believe. I, I want to just get a clear sense of, of this, though, uh, Mayor. Uh, why do you believe the president chose to talk about domination uh, in the face of what's happening, not just in your city, but? in many instances when it comes to what the remedy is uh, for the unrest in the country right now. What do you think this is about for him? I think it shows a complete lack of understanding of why people are in the street. They're in the street fighting a system of domination, and he doesn't understand that. And his response is always one that's bellicose and militaristic, but he doesn't honor the military in that way either, as you've seen from the line of generals that have disputed him. So I think he says dominate because he is totally does not understand what is happening in America, and he is desperately trying to start the old fights and the old divisions that put him in power in the first place. How long do you think Seattle in those few blocks looks like this? I don't know. We could have a summer of love. You know, Senator, I think there's simple roles of any elected official. First role is you've got to maintain order. You've got to protect the citizens in your state, the citizens in your city. The next thing you want to do is you want to protect property. Now we see what has been unfolding, curfews. Nobody listens to the curfews. They laugh at the curfews. Uh, and then we see the looting and the arson uh, and, and everything in between. Now we're taking over part of a city? And they do nothing still? And you get statements from the cops saying, yeah, they have our police precinct. Yeah. I think what we're seeing in Seattle, Sean, is a dress rehearsal for life in America without law enforcement. A civilized society has to have rules and someone to enforce them. I don't believe that the 18,000 police forces that we have in this country are endemically racist. I think there are some racist cops and we need to weed them out. And finally, to, uh, to the governor and the, the mayor of Seattle, who I think are holding their cops back, I would say gently, uh, if you hate cops, 
just because they're cops, then the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. We need cops to keep us safe. And I think Seattle is proof of that. You have said this was not your decision to abandon an entire precinct, and you're angry about how it happened. How did this happen? President Trump is blasting your mayor and your governor. He is tweeting that domestic terrorists have taken over Seattle. Is that an accurate depiction of what's happening in your city? Well, we definitely have some folks who have um, posted themselves outside the precinct and in about a four-block radius around it. Um, but, you know, I don't get involved in the politics. I let the politicians do all that. I'm just concerned about making sure that I'm able to get my officers back into the precinct so that they can respond to calls for service. We need to have officers responding to calls in a timely fashion. And with the um, occupation uh, that is taking place, we're not able to do so in a timely way. It's taking us three times the amount of time for priority one calls in the area and almost an hour for priority two calls. Well, that leads me to my next question because protesters are declaring this an autonomous zone, free of police. Do you consider it to be a dangerous situation? And if so, how? Well, of course, I think that officers need to be able to function and perform from the precinct. Uh, it makes only good sense that we're able to do our job effectively. Um, and this, uh, while I really support First Amendment free speech, um, this is not that. The autonomous zone has turned into an almost street fair-like atmosphere with free food, art displays, and outdoor movie nights. But there have been some reports of armed people patrolling the streets in lieu of police. Demonstrators have renamed the building the Seattle People's Department. This also is our building as we paid for this and we paid for their works and everything that they do is supposed to benefit the people. The mayor of Seattle rushed to defend protesters in her city's so-called autonomous zone after President Trump threatened to take over that six-block area. Activists there have taken over an area surrounding a police precinct. Their message is straightforward, that police should stay away. This six-block radius has become this so-called autonomous zone. Uh, is very much of a, a, has its own life within itself. And over these last nights, you've had thousands of folks walk through. When you're going through, it's more like a pedestrian street festival of sorts. You have folks, these restaurants are open. There's couches in the middle of the road. There's gardening uh, taking place. There was one resident that I talked to that said the last several nights, he's actually felt safe, unlike the week prior when the police force and those protests were ongoing. Since my last podcast, here are three sound bites. One is a black cop getting beat by white people in Georgia. Another one is a New York cop getting fucking pummeled by a pack of black youth. And another one is another shop owner beaten to fucking death.
I want you to think about something. They tried to do this in Nashville and they crushed it. And it went away. Every city is trying to do an autonomous zone. What would happen if conservatives went and took over parts of cities? What would happen? How would the media cover that? But we don't want laws. This is an NPR reporter, Morgan Givens, white supremacist fascist in the White House. Every day, that's what he tweets. 
white supremacists in the White House. Remember the same guidelines that are based on a white supremacist idea of objectivity. Remember the black journalists, we were being reprimanded for calling racism racism. Anyway, there's a white supremacist in the White House. Here's a statement from 1AEP Rupert Allman on response to Morgan's tweet. Morgan and I talked last week. To be clear, as the executive producer, I wasn't interested in shutting Morgan down. I did ask whether he saw NPR and public media as a natural home. That's what I want to be. I also understand Morgan has put up with comments and behavior that has made it difficult for him, which, of course, I regret. But calling the president a fascist does more than fall foul of existing NPR guidelines. It misreads history. The president is a populist and a fiery individualist. Fasim relies on the collective and is built around an ideology where all powers are centralized. <laughs> Here's the reality. You're the fascist. You have just now become the fascist. You're taking over parts of cities. You've beaten people you don't agree with. you shut down free speech. You're censoring and burning every cop show. You are the brown shirts. I've been saying it since the fucking moment Trump got elected. Who's the fascist? Matt in Oregon knows I say it every podcast, and boom, what I said is right. They're fucking fascists. They don't believe in free speech. They don't believe in opposing views, and they believe no law applies to them. These cities are going to come up with two laws. If you're white... Or excuse me, if you're non-POC, this is your law. If you're POC, do what the fuck you want. Until they go, what the fuck did we do? But everybody's on board. Celebs make another virtue thing. Some of these motherfuckers are literally acting like they're going to get an Emmy for this shit. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility for every unchecked moment, for every time it was easier to ignore than to call it out for what it was. Every not-so-funny joke. Every unfair stereotype. Every blatant injustice, no matter how big or small. Every time I remained silent. Every time explained away police brutality or turned a blind eye. I take responsibility. Black people are being slaughtered in the streets, killed in their own homes. These are our brothers and sisters, our friends, our family. We are done watching them die. We are no longer bystanders. We will not be idle. Enough is enough. I will no longer allow an unchecked moment. I will no longer allow racist, hurtful words, jokes, stereotypes no matter how big or small, to be uttered in my presence. I will not turn a blind eye. Going for a job should not be a death sentence. Sleeping in your own home should not be a death sentence. Playing video games with your nephew should not be a death sentence. Shopping in a store should not be a death sentence. Business as usual should not be life-threatening. I stand against hate. I stand against hate. I stand against hate. I stand against hate. 
I will stand against hate in love. I will make my presence known. And killer cops must be prosecuted. They are murderers. We can't hide. It's time to take responsibility. Call out hate. Step up and take action. What the fuck? Julianne Moore, Stanley Tucci, Gal Gadot, John Lennon's Imagine with Will Ferrell and Natalie Portman, uh, Aaron Paul, Nick Searcy, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. Today, it takes responsibility from a role in eradicating racism in America and take her stand no matter how small or large. What will you take responsibility for? Julianne Moore. Today, I think the same thing because we're all automaton. We just copy and paste what somebody else said. Dave Rubin, will you commit to giving up your future roles to actors of color? Because they won't do that. How many people of color have you personally assisted by? And oh, by the way, Merry Christmas and his family is integrated. Black and white. None of them can say that. Rob Smith. I fucking love this soundbite. And take responsibility. I take responsibility for every black person in Hollywood that told you it was a good idea to humiliate yourselves in that cringy video that you made apologizing for being white. I take responsibility for that because because they told you that, that it's a good idea. They told you that this is what you need to do to prove that you're not racist. And I take responsibility for that. You have been humiliated by this video. Um, it's, it's cringy. It, it causes me physical pain to watch it. And, and I take responsibility because somewhere some black person told you that that is what you needed to do to prove that you're not racist and I take responsibility for that. You have all been humiliated. It's it's the most humiliating thing that I've ever seen on the internet and that's saying a lot and I, I have to take responsibility for the black people in Hollywood that told you to do that. You You probably don't have any black friends for real because if you did, you have known that you shouldn't humiliate yourself like that to prove that you're not racist. You should just not be an asshole. Just don't be an asshole. He's black. It's fucking hilarious. But when they weren't doing this, 33 Hollywood elite stoking anger, bigotry, lawlessness over Floyd's death. It's the usuals. Perlman, Snoop Dogg, fuck you to Trump supporters, all kinds. And his anger, he claimed Donald Trump is a fucking weirdo. If you voted for him, I don't have no problem with that. If you're still with him, fuck you. Pink, Kiki Palmer, Michael Moore, somebody help me with the math. It's Sally looking burning down one police precinct, HQ, plus 22 other buildings to get them to arrest just one in four. Ice Cube has gone crazy and gone fucking anti-Semitic and about everything he's done. Spike Lee, Jesus Christ, he's on everything NBC has. Tom Arnold, we already covered, and we're about to do Taylor Swift in a second. Several celebs calling for defunding. They wrote letters, Portman, 
uh, Legend, Tajay P. Henson, Common, Seth Rogen, Andy Lasser, Rob Reiner, Jane Paul, George Takai, John Cusack, Leah Delarley, Jeffrey Wright, Chrissy Teigen, John Lozuamo, Kirk Acevedo, Sarah Silverman, David Simone, Ellen Barkin, Lin-Man Miranda, Bradley Whitford, Rosie O'Donnell, Barbara Streisand, and George Clooney. It sounded a little bit like this. I mean, in my opinion, the Trump is, is, is really behind the eight ball right now. He knows that unless they fix this election, unless uh, his party uh, does voter suppression and stops mail-in voting and uh, is unsuccessful in his, uh, his culture war uh, that he's going uh, uh, forward with, that they will lose. And the Senate will go Democrat, the House will stay Democrat, and the president will uh, be a Democrat. He knows that. So he is scared of that. He's playing a political game with people's lives. And these people do not realize that they are pawns in his game. He only wants to be reelected. He doesn't really care if you live or die. I mean, witness the fact that he went golfing uh, on Memorial when, when the names are being printed uh, in the New York Times about how many people have died. He couldn't care less. Why does he fiddle with people's lives is what I want to know. I want to go back to your movie for a second, because in the movie, you include a black Trump supporter complete with the Make America Great hat on. Now, knowing how vocal you've been against the president, I think many people were surprised that you made that you made that decision. How, how come? Well, there are some Negroes <laughs> that have drunk or will drink the orange Kool-Aid this coming November, but it's a very, very small percentage. And I needed, we needed that, my co-writer, Ken Wilmot and I, to put some tension in the group. These four brothers who grew up, who fought side by side the Vietnam War, and they're coming back 40 some years later, so everybody can't be, everybody went off after they came back from the war, so People went their different ways, and, and I'm like Ad, played by the great actor, Delroy Lindo. He really makes you understand why he's wearing that, that hat. You have sympathy for him. I think this is a dry run for the fall. Mm-hmm. I'm going to just say this. I, I have no inside information. Eric and Don Jr. do not confide in me. But I do believe that he is... He's now read the polls. He sees the data. He's probably going to lose. He knows it. And so now he's got to come up with something. And the something will be him trying to postpone the election. And if we get the second wave of the pandemic in the fall, um, where if it's like the second wave of the flu of 1918, the second wave killed twice as many people as the first wave. So we could have an awful situation. And it will make sort of kind of sense to just enough people that, yeah, we really should, probably shouldn't have the election. Let's, uh, let's postpone it. But in Trump's mind, and the way people like Trump think is once you postpone something, it's gone. Right. Uh, I hope, uh, uh, I hope people will hear that message. I do, uh, would love for you to come on again as we get closer, uh, so that we can get, uh, what has so far been very accurate predictions uh, from you. So thank you so much, Michael. Our president, President President Barack Obama, has said that this upcoming presidential election is going to be the most 
important history of the United States of America, I'm going to take a step further from my from Barack, saying that this presidential election will be the most important election in history of the modern world because if he gets elected. Now, this is my opinion. This guy gets elected, the world is in peril. Yeah, they tried. They had to talk him down for sickening national, you know, armed forces on peaceful Americans. And like, it's like this guy's never even heard the Constitution of the United States of America. Yeah. How can anyone call themselves a patriot or an American if you reelect a president that doesn't govern, respect, or represent half of our country? That's not America. That's your America. That's not America. So you either worship the Confederate flag, which is not our flag, and it never will be, or you're a hypocrite that doesn't actually understand the meaning of patriotism or what it means to be an American. Truth. Natalie Portman is so moved by this. When I first heard defund the police, I have to admit, my first reaction was fear. My whole life, police have made me feel safe. But that's exactly the center of my white privilege. I guess common sense is now white privilege. You black people who want police, you're, you got white privilege too, I guess. The police make me, as a white woman, feel safe while my black friends, family, and neighbors feel the oppress, opposite, opposite, opposite. Police make them feel terror. And for a good reason. Police are the sixth leading cause of death for black men in the country. There are not isolated incidents. These are pattern and part of the system of over-policing of black America. And the funny thing is, she still wrote this after she had to look up sixth. Sixth. What's the number one, Natalie? Black men. Taylor Swift got pushed into it as a Tennessee, and it makes me sick that there are monuments standing in our state celebrate racist historical figures who did evil things. Edward Carmack and Nathan Bedford Forrest were despicable. Splinter. The internet wants Confederate flag to be Taylor Swift's next target, and she's in. Edward Carmack statue. The statue takes Tennessee, vowed to replace it. Blah, blah, blah. Ida B. Wells will actually replace the hero statue, pioneering journalist, replacing the statue is a waste of state funds and a waste of opportunity to do the right thing. Then we get to this monstrosity. Nathan Bedford Forrest, who's a Democrat. Meh. His statue still stands July 13th is Nathan Bedford Forrest Day. Due to social pressure, states trying to overrule this, and Tennesseans might no longer have to stomach it. Fingers crossed. Taking down statues is going to fix centuries of systemic oppression, violence, but it's one step closer to making all Tennesseans and visitors to our state feel sign. Not just the white ones. We need to retroactively change the Statue of people who perpetuated hideous pattern racism from heroes to villains, and villains don't deserve statues. I'm asking the Capitol Commission and the Tennessee Historical Commission to please consider the implication of how hurtful it would be to continue fighting for these monuments when you fight to honor racists. You show black Tennesseans and all their allies where you stand. You continue to cycle of hurt. You can't change history, but you can change this. Okay, Taylor. I'm going to take, you know, every time one of these celebrities does this, I think for a second. Do I have white privilege as I'm sitting here disabled with a fucked up back? Can't get a job because I'm overqualified? Yeah, I guess I do. That privilege is just rolling in. But my favorite, and then we're going to go to a music break and close this pig out, is Lady Annabellum. Now, first and foremost, Lady Anne Bell is a country music band. They decided to go Mains and Dixie Chick 
and changed their name. They're now Lady A because Annabellum talks about Civil War times and could be considered racist. Lady out, this is the Rolling Stones. Lady Annabellum is now Lady A, but so is a black blues singer who performed music under the name for 20 years. For them to not even reach out is pure privilege, says the woman who's Lady A. The article, Seattle blues singer Lady A has just gotten off work on Thursday when a bar to phone message where friends, fans, and producers came all shouting with the same thing. Her name has been stolen. Oh, that day, Grammy-winning country trio Lady Annabellum his name has been criticized for its association with romanticized ideas of the pre-war civil slavery-ridden American South, which I never thought of, but okay, announced they were changing their name to Lady A in light of a heightened national conversation about racism. Lady Annabella made the changes swiftly on social media and distribution platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, and the group website also announced a rechristening as Lady A. But according to Seattle's Lady A, neither the band nor any member of their team reached out to her before making the change. I love it when you go woke, you fucking go broke. That's white privilege. To a music break, the soundtrack uh, starting theme, I love the song, it's not going to make most of you happy. For the show, Marcella. And then we're going to come into... Uh, what are we going to come into? Laura Logan. Yeah. They're attacking her now. And she's been raped by far-left protesters in the Middle East.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Like once someone doesn't have access to clean water, they have no choice but to riot, right? So, and it doesn't have to be that way. And I'm not even talking about like, I'm not even talking about Palestinians. I'm talking about people, communities in poverty in the United States. I'm talking about Latin America. I'm talking about like all over the world. And, um, and we, we experienced times like that in our history of the, in, in this country. You know, we had riots in 1968 when the Bronx was burning, when, you know, social destabilization is what happens when people do not have a plan or feel like there's no vision for their future. That, of course, is AOC sounding like a child again. And Laura Logan, my question, who turned a bartender from New York into a mouthpiece for radical agenda? Same people pulling the strings behind Antifa and the street? Jim Hansen, marginalized community in the U.S., have no choice but to riot. She's legitimizing violence. Oliver Darcy. What happened to Laura Logan? Brian Seltzer. She used to be distinguished correspondent for 60 minutes. The world. Hi, Oliver. Maybe Laura had a bad first-hand experience with radical leftist anarchist mob. Well, being gang-raped by a radical Islam and then getting stabbed in the back by your employer because we can't disturb the chosen one's foreign policy is a good indicator. That was to Oliver, to Brian. So not letting readers know why Laura Logan, who was brutally gang-raped while covering a peaceful protest in Cairo and Egypt, might have harsh words from one of the most powerful politicians in the U.S. is legitimizing riots is reason number one. Greg Polowitz. You don't have to swing at every pitch, you know. Leave Laura alone. The replies to his garbage tweet, which leaves out an AOC video, are also garbage, as many don't seem to know that Logan experienced or why she might have an issue with AOC, had to say back in 2019. Why it's a garbage tweet, Dan Rather also used to distinguish employee of CBS News is one of the main reasons that certified reliable source is bullshit. Another reason... Why this is a garbage tweet used to distinguish CBS reporter Dan Rather is now one of his regular panelists. L.A. Times sings the praise of clearly energized Don Lemon ignores his ugly rhetoric. Because we're all in now. All he talks about is everybody's racist. As a nation looks up for an answer on George Floyd... CNN's Don Lemon steps up. Batago had her speak about how she's very proud of her son, concerned for her safety, and dismayed at how people attack him. Battle added that his mom has seen the vicious comments written about her son online since he became more outspoken on the nightly program. The vitriol intensified after Lemon called Trump a racist in 2018. It is a puff piece about how he is one of the greatest people on earth. Here's my first Don Lemon, because I got another one at the end of the show. That pretty much sums up what this is all about. But yet this guy is a great reporter. 
This president loves to tell you how much he has done for black people. MAGA loves black people. Someone actually said that. I think he actually said something like that. He loves to tell you that he's done more than any president since Abraham Lincoln. That is a lie. Time and time again, he refused to support efforts to make this country more equal. Let me show you how. He's gassed peaceful protesters demanding justice and equality. He's falsely accused them of being criminals. And when this president and his administration, as thousands and thousands of Americans peacefully protest racism and police brutality, when they won't even admit, admit that systemic racism exists in our society and in our police departments, well, don't take my word for it, just listen. You said you don't believe systemic racism. I do, I, I do not. At all in the U.S.? I do not. You don't think there's any systemic racism against African Americans in the United States? I would say it again, I do not. We want to make sure we don't have any bad actors in there, and sometimes you'll see some horrible things like we witnessed recently, but uh, 99, I say 99.9, but let's go with 99% of them are great, great people, and they've done jobs that are record-setting. I think there's racism in the United States still, but I don't think that the uh, law enforcement system is systemically racist. Do you think systemic racism is a problem in law enforcement agencies in the United States? No, I, I don't think there's systemic racism. I think 99.9% .9 of our law enforcement officers are great Americans. Hmm. Listen, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say this stuff from now on, and I'm not going to, like, couch it. You know, people say black folks, white folks, whatever, just and whisper, white people, black people. We don't have to whisper anymore. I'm just going to say it. White men denying the existence of systemic racism, that is the essence of white entitlement. We do not need their permission or their sign-off on what we know to be true and what we have lived. That is white mansplaining. How can you solve this problem, the systemic racism that is killing people of color, if you won't even admit there is a problem? First step is admitting there's a problem. America knows which way the wind is blowing. Even NASCAR is banning Confederate flags right now because people, including one of their own drivers, spoke up loud and clear what are you gonna do if someone raises a confederate flag I, I, what's the next action Baba? i don't know that's a good question that's why these conversations are being had right now uh... each and every day my, i need to get a new battery for my phone it's been going through so much but uh... we are we are taking we are trying to figure out next steps and my next step would be to get rid of all confederate flags but not this president He's refusing to even consider renaming military bases bearing the names of Confederate military commanders, tweeting, these monumental and very powerful bases have become part of a great American heritage and a history of winning victory and freedom. Hmm. But they lost. They didn't win. They actually was going against what America wanted. But you want to name a military base after? You're going to fight for that? Okay, 
Do your thing. The president going against his own defense secretary and the secretary of the army, both open to discussing renaming the bases. Bases named after Confederate military commanders. In other words, the people, listen to me, the people these bases honor by bearing their names are traitors who lost. You want to defend that? Go right ahead. Yes, many American heroes trained at those bases and fought and won battles and wars. The fight for freedom, for liberty, for America. Many, many of them black and brown. We could rename the bases after some of them. President Trump doesn't have to keep Confederate names on our military bases, our military bases. He is choosing to. He says he has done so much for black people. Let's remember what he does when he has the choice. Which choice does he make? He and his administration choose to gas peaceful protesters marching for racial equality so he could have a photo op. He chose to launch his climb to power by promoting the racist birther lie that the former President Barack Obama was not born in this country. Chose to attack athletes taking a knee to protest police brutality and racial inequality. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! Chose to support maintaining Confederate statues and monuments when white supremacists and neo-Nazis marched in Charlottesville with tiki torches and violence. Listen to that. Listen to that. Jews will not replace us. Did all this when violence swirled around those monuments. This is a president who said this about it. You also had people that were very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group. Excuse me. Excuse me. I saw the same pictures as you did. Chose to dodge repeated questions about whether he disavowed David Duke. David Duke from Louisiana. That's where I'm from. He is the former leader of the Ku Klux Klan. Chose to call African nations sending immigrants to this country, quote, shithole countries. He even chose to spike the effort to put Harriet Tubman's face on the $20 bill, calling it pure political correctness. Harriet Tubman is fantastic. I would love to I would love to leave Andrew Jackson and see if we can maybe come up with another denomination. Maybe we do the $2 bill or we do another bill. I don't like seeing it. Yes, I think it's pure political correctness. Harriet Tubman was an escaped slave and conductor of the Underground Railroad who led countless other slaves to freedom. President Andrew Jackson was a slave owner who forced tens of thousands of Native Americans off their lands and onto the famous Trail of Tears, where many died. These are all points where Donald Trump could have chosen to reject racism, the legacy of white supremacy, could have chosen to support a move toward equality and recognition for black people in this country and what we have faced. 
What have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? That's what he said. And now this president who is itching to get back out on the campaign trail is having a campaign rally on June 19th, which is Juneteenth. The very day that marks the end of slavery in this country. And he is having it in Tulsa, where in 1921, hundreds of African Americans were killed by a white mob in the section of Tulsa known as Black Wall Street. <laughs> is it any surprise that this president and his administration, that they don't think that systemic racism exists in this country? No. What he's really worked up about is bad poll numbers. His campaign sending a cease and desist letter to CNN, demanding a retraction and apology for a recent poll that showed that he's behind the presumptive Democratic presidential nominee, Joe Biden. Apparently, this president just couldn't take it. Maybe he needs another bunker moment. I don't know. David Vigilante, who is CNN's general counsel, firing back in a letter saying, to my knowledge, this is the first time in its 40-year history that CNN had been threatened with legal action because an American politician or campaign did not like CNN's polling results. To the extent we have received legal threats from political leaders in the past, they have typically come from countries like Venezuela or other regimes where there is little or no respect for a free and independent media. Going on to say this, your letter is factually and legally baseless. It is yet another bad faith attempt by the campaign to threaten litigation to muzzle speech it does not want voters to read or hear. Your allegations and demands are rejected in their entirety. And as we say, period. I don't have to say anything because Dave Chappelle is doing a show, 8 minute 48 seconds. It's about race and everything. He dogs both sides pretty heavy duty, but he singled out Lemon specifically. So the other night I'm in my little clubhouse and I'm watching uh, Dom Lemon, that hotbed of reality. He says, where are all these celebrities? Why aren't you talking? This nigga said everybody. I was screaming at the TV. I dare you to save me, nigga. I dare you. Has anyone ever listened to me do comedy? Have I not ever said anything about these things before? So now all of a sudden, this nigga expects me to step in front of the streets and talk over the work these people are doing as a celebrity? Ask me, do you want to see a celebrity right now? Do we give a fuck what Ja Rule thinks? Does it matter about celebrity? No. This is the streets talking for themselves. They don't need me right now. I kept my mouth shut. And I'll still keep my mouth shut. But don't think that my silence is complicit to all the shit these niggas are saying, trying to get everyone to sing these fucking songs. I know all these songs. I was raised on these songs. Why would anyone care what the favorite comedian thinks 
after they saw a police officer kneel on a man's neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. He's trying to find some viewers. They win some demos, but people are still watching Fox News. Because when you tune into CNN, it's lies. Like Brian Seltzer. Fox lies about riot. Seltzer began the riot lie. Watch Fox News for a few hours. You think the rioters are still prowling America's biggest city, smashing, winning, and stealing handbags. You might think Minneapolis is still burning. You might think the unrest is getting worse. And Fox and Friends and Hannity's alert, alternate, alternative, alternative universe. The rioting is still a pretense threat. <clears throat> it could restart at any time. This is a contradiction by every news report from every other outlet who didn't cover the violence. You understand that, right, Brian? Yeah, you do, because you're a liar. Story now is about peaceful, powerful, sustained protests, but riot porn video is irresistible for Fox. Conservative media is living in the past as unrest subside. Salter's made brief nod to writing, but things look bad. Look, I live in Manhattan. I hated what happened May 31st and June 1st. The looting and mayhem was appalling, but in more than a week ago, the graffiti has been scrubbed off of my bodega. The broken windows have been cleaned up, and today I noticed the city's garbage can taken away last week because vandals kept lighting on fire. I think it was a small but telling sign that things are getting back to normal. It's grossly misleading to show old vitting of looters in a loop. He didn't talk about people beating, dying, cops, the soundbite I played of a New York cop getting killed, just beaten the fuck up by a pack of black people. Look at the video of his own show or his Don Lemon appearance. He called the rioting heinous once, but he mostly promoted the disturbance as historic and widespread. He he quoted CNN House historian De- Douglas Brinkley saying, rioting that hasn't been widespread since Martin Luther King, it's historic. June 8th, the upwellings give new movement a greater Durability, June 7th. Forget the riots, just t- t- tabloid celebrating peaceful and powerful. June 4th, not enough coverage of the scope of the peaceful protest. June 2nd, Seltzer celebrated his New York Times pal Charles Warsel writing up a singular collective trauma. Warsel touted a Twitter account offering video called A Unicorn Riot. June 2nd, earlier, Seltzer condemned looters, but only if he could discontent the effect of looting and the lump the looters into it with that liar Trump. I'm walking down 7th Avenue right now. Last night was terrible, but New York City was not ripped to pieces. This city is stronger than looters and liars, and he retreated Trump. So when you do all this, and then you prep up all the fucking lies... And say defunding is great, and this is great, and that is great. Who's lying, Brian Seltzer? Who? It's you. Because just yesterday, this happened. Miami police getting fucked with, and they fucked back. Two days ago, Monument falls on a protester and kills him. Two days ago, Tom Cotton about talking about the Statue of Liberty stupidity. Followed by the family guy, which is just apropos of everything that's happening. Fuck y'all! 
if you think it's just limited to statues or to TV shows, to toys, you'd be wrong. This woke mob could very soon be coming for any one of you. At UCLA, a college professor has been suspended, and he's under police investigation because he declined to postpone final exams so students could apparently go out and participate in protests. Another professor is being investigated for reading aloud from Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail because it uses offensive language. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from a Birmingham jail. A professional soccer player, Alexander Katai, was fired for his wife's tweet. Not his own, his wife's tweet. Multiple different business executives and editors at newspapers and magazines have been fired. If you think this is only for people who are not powerful and not rich, you'd be wrong. Ivanka Trump was scheduled to give a commencement speech last weekend at a Wichita technical school. The speech was canceled because she was deemed too controversial. A speech about workforce training and women's opportunities in our economy, Ivanka Trump canceled. So where does this cancel culture take us? What is the logical conclusion? What is the end of the cancel culture? I will tell you what it is. It is right here in this city, Washington, the District of Columbia. That's where it will end if we don't put an end to the madness now. Just up the mall is the Washington Monument. Are we going to tear the Washington Monument down? Are we going to re rename it the Obelisk of Wokeness? Up the hill is the Washington National Cathedral, where so many times we have gathered as a nation over the years to mourn our great leaders, to pray for God's protection and deliverance in moments of national strife and struggle. Are we going to rename the Washington National Cathedral the Temple of Reason, as the Jacobins did to Notre Dame during the French Revolution? And what are we going to come, what are we going to call this city? Can't call it Washington. Can't call it Columbia. Got to come up with new names all around. Because I will say this, the cancel culture, whether in its Maoist or its Jacobin forms, ultimately is animated by a single idea, that America, at its core, is fundamentally irredeemable and wicked. I reject that claim fully, wholeheartedly. America is a great and noble nation, the noblest nation in the history of mankind that has struggled throughout our history imperfectly but ceaselessly to live up to our founding creed that all men are created equal. The single greatest defense against tyranny, against racism, against oppression. That is the stakes of this debate. Wait a minute. Peter didn't shoot my son. I did. <gasps> Peter was just taking the blame for me. He's a good friend. Uh, Mr. Brown, what exactly are you saying?
I'm saying that I, Cleveland Brown, a black man, shot Cleveland Brown Jr., another black man. Wait, where, where did everybody go? You want to make the media go away? Just mention black-on-black -black crime. How about all the Antifa videos, and this is long, going back to the Bernie bro saying this was going to happen, and two more releases of them talking about what they're doing right now. So if Trump gets reelected, what? Cities burn. You didn't think that some of these, like, mega people could even be re-educated? <laughs> I mean, we gotta try. I mean, like, so, like, in Nazi Germany, after the fall of the Nazi party, there was a shit ton of the populace that was Nazified. And, like, Germany had to spend billions of dollars re-educating people to not be Nazis. Like, we're probably going to have to do the same thing here. And that's kind of what Bernie's, like, whole like, hey, free education for everybody, because we're going to have to teach you not to be a Nazi. There's a reason Joseph Stalin had gulags. Right? And actually, gulags were a lot better than, like, what, like, the CIA has told us that they were. Like, people were actually paid a living wage in gulags. They had conjugal visits in gulags. Gulags were actually meant for, like, re-education. Greatest way to break a billionaire of their, like, privilege and their idea that they're superior? Go out and break rocks for 12 hours a day. You're now a working class person, and you're gonna learn what that means. Right? If your speech is calling for the elimination of people based on race or gender or uh, uh, religious. Uh, like, for whatever reason, like, things that people can't change, then you should expect a f***ing violent reaction. And you deserve a violent reaction. Ready to be in Milwaukee for the DNC Commission. We're going to make 1978 look like a f***ing Girl Scout The cops are going to be the ones that are getting beaten in Milwaukee. We did apply for a grant from Soros at one point a long time ago. We actually did get a, a, a grant from them. There is going to be a need for thousands of people and then millions to come into the streets. We're trying to meet with Tom Steyer. We've been talking to his assistant. We're meeting with his main his main advisor on impeachment. He has political ambitions that he may actually want to not directly connected in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York. You and this is this at a certain point dominates the national news. It's very disruptive course. Last week, we released video of New York Antifa-like group Refuse Fa, short for Refuse Fascism, training people how to poke people's eyes out and reframing assault as self-defense. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if that doesn't knock him out, then yeah, the nose, the face, the eyes, the eyes We just kind of want to, in the space, reframe the idea of self-defense as not simply you're being acted upon by an aggressor, but it's a kind of a decision you make. 
um, to fight back. Uh, in a lot of ways to say, um, I'm human and I, this, I occupy the space and I'll be not, not Now today, we unmask undercover footage of their national organizer, the national organizer for refused fascism, and we release footage that suggests who might even be funding their militant operation. The ultimate vision is to for people to break with their comfort and come into the streets day after day, night after night, in the hundreds of thousands, into the millions, and not leave until they have to step out. We did apply for a grant from Soros at one point a long time ago when I was doing more um, abortion rights and defending clinics. We actually did get a, a, a grant from them around, um, we started a thing called the National Day of Appreciation for Abortion Providers. Contributing money is a huge, look, we are not going to reach millions without millions. That's just a, that's just straight up. We are not going to do it. We need millions of dollars to reach millions of people. You know, if you can get a meeting of um, either one of those, um, Sansara Taylor or Andy Z, you would be like... It would be, it would be a, a very important experience in your life. <laughs> Let's try anything with Tom Steyer. And, and what, uh... Um, right now, I don't know if we took the meeting today. We we're meeting with his main, his main advisor on impeachment. They kind of, I don't know who that is, is somebody... That's kind of a big deal. I mean, that's... We're meeting. We've been talking to his assistant. He was going to... He first said he was going to meet, then he got busy, he made the announcement. Hofstadter has been retweeting some of our stuff. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to want to... I think he has... This is only me speaking based on reading newspapers from New York. I think he has political ambitions... Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, there's always been the rumor he's going to run for right. governor. That he may actually want to not be directly connected. It's not just Soros and Steyer who may have interest in groups like Refuse Fa and Antifa. It's also our friends in Silicon Valley. Going to be meeting with the his money is not part of the $1,000, but he's donated over $50,000. We have other donor people who donated $10,000. So actually, you're not first, but, exactly. but you're not first, but you are first. And then if we could have, right now, $15,000, which is not very much money, extra, this $15,000, what I've learned on this tour is we should have three of these tours going out to campuses right now. I met with the Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation. I mean, you're familiar with them. They're the main people for fighting on net neutrality and all this stuff. The Frontier what? The Electronic Frontier Foundation. Okay. It's the main organization that fights for internet privacy, uh, net neutrality. It's a major f***ing organization. I met with them. They're in San Francisco, headquartered in San Francisco. And they're going to help us get connected. Our cities are on fire. With riots in the streets and elections at stake, everything seems so organized. 
It's not a surprise that presidential campaigns might get involved. P.Z. Myers, Cornel West, uh, Arturo O'Farrell. I mean, these are major figures in the arts and sciences who are definitely not revolutionaries, okay? And, uh, and you'll see there's, there's people, Hillary campaign people, work with these guys, you know, because they see the danger. You have to create a kind of demand from below. For what? The kind of demand from below. Oh, right. Trump, Pence, regime, let's go. Yeah. Where there's... The abolition. Yeah, the, where, where there's the kind of situation that did exist in South Korea, where the society itself is both a serious crisis in that... Yeah, just imagine if... Let's put millions aside for a second. That there was ten to 50,000 people demonstrating in those, just those five cities, which if they were demonstrating there, I can tell you from history, it would be spreading like wildfire every storm. That number of people who were protesting, you know, at first maybe every week and then every, uh, every three days and then every other day, where people were coming after work and the streets were flooded every night from five o'clock till one o'clock in the morning and there was Probably among younger people, there'd be a few thousand who stayed overnight. And this was happening in Los Angeles, San Francisco, New York. You had, and this is, this at a certain point dominates the national news. This is the cities are in a certain sense non-violent demonstrations, but that's still a very disruptive force. That has international repercussions. Look at what's happening in the U.S. across our radar in early 2018. Uh, we had seen some articles online about them and saw that they were sort of the militia wing of Antifa, also called the John Brown Gun Club. I reached out to the chapter in Shelby, North Carolina over Facebook Messenger and I received a reply right away. They, they are Antifa in that they share the Antifa ideology. This particular group sees themselves as armed revolutionaries and they believe in total abolition of everything including the police. Once we were finished shooting, they needed to interview me. This was part of my Initiation. If an officer of the state came to your door and asked you questions about your political ideology and people you associate with, how would you respond? I would say no. If you were tabling at a gun show and someone loudly accused you of being a terrorist or part of Antifa, how would you handle it? I probably would laugh. Redneck Revolt came across our radar in early 2018. Uh, we had seen some articles online about them and saw that they were sort of the 
militia wing of Antifa, um, also called the John Brown Gun Club. I reached out to the chapter in Shelby, North Carolina over Facebook Messenger and I received a reply right away from the leader. His name was Paul Ditz. She's asking questions about the NRA. Well, we're the wrong people to ask about the NRA. Are you a member of the NRA? Well, no. Nope. I hate the NRA. The NRA is a white supremacist terrorist organization. Absolutely. Can I quote you? Yes. They, they are Antifa in that they share the Antifa ideology, and it can be shared by many different groups. Typically, Antifa that you see on TV are the ones that are dressed in all black, you know, and they go and they throw rocks or bricks and start trouble. This particular group sees themselves as armed revolutionaries. They're all about the working class, you know, so they share this communist anarchist ideals that the working class should run the country with no government and they believe in total abolition of everything including the police. Charlottesville was comprised of your typical Antifa black block measures. There were also Black Lives Matter. There were multiple chapters of Redneck Revolt that went to Charlottesville and acted as the militia wing of the anti-fascist movement. One of their missions is to arm minorities. They feel that black Americans and minorities are disenfranchised by gun laws and permit fees. I would say probably around the third time that I met with them, they invited me to go to the gun range with them for what they called range night. This is semi. Okay. That means semi-automatic. Okay. One shot for one trigger yeah. pull. Kind of have one foot back. Mm -hmm. And this arm, you want to have both arms straight. Going to the gun range with Redneck Revolt was especially stressful and scary because A, they had guns, and B, I was wired with a camera. So the entire time that I was there at the gun range, especially while we were shooting guns, I was constantly worried that something would come unattached or a wire would show. Uh, so I had to just be very careful about how I was wired up that night. Once we were finished shooting, they turned to me and told me that they needed to interview me and that this was part of my initiation as part of my probationary period. They basically led me out back of the gun range and we sat outside where they asked me, various questions about my ideology. If an officer of the state came to your door and asked you questions about your political ideology and people you associate with, how would you respond? An officer of the state? Like who? Like, it could be. If they came to my door and asked me about they, my political... If they, if they said, uh, um, do you know Clyde and Millie? And can you tell us about the political work that you do? Oh, how would you respond about? I would say no. For one thing, I think if they came to my door, they would have to have a warrant in the first place, wouldn't they? And especially cool. just 
maybe maybe yeah. not well especially to start asking random questions like that yeah i mean i would be like yeah i don't know like i would just say no and probably not say much else i mean i've been taught like you don't talk to cops i mean i don't agree with like going and shooting police or anything like oh. that <laughs> or like hunting them down and whatever Definitely. but yeah, yeah we're, like we're, i just think like we're, we're an above ground organization yeah so. yeah so, yeah, so if, if you right. want to do it you have to go on your own time oh no <laughs> uh, we, we, you can't talk to us about it either or if you yeah. do do it and we find out about it we're gonna have to kick you out of the group oh no 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 in a hypothetical situation at a gun show if you were tabling at a gun show and someone loudly accused you of being a terrorist or part of antifa how would you handle it like if someone said it to me directly? Yeah, mm-hmm. If someone's being directly confrontational with you and I... And they said people. I was a terrorist? Yeah, part of Antifa. <laughs> uh, you're an Antifa super soldier and you're going to... You, you kill babies. George Soros is paying you to <laughs> attack the government and you're getting... Right. I probably would laugh. So their heroes were people like John Brown and Harriet Tubman. Um, one of the first meetings I went to was really interesting because they were handing out coloring books that they made for children. Book, it's got, you know, some illustrations of Harriet Tubman, John Brown, and some other people like that. While I was in North Carolina, in the Charlotte area, one other thing that I was doing on the side was I was working as a volunteer um, in some campaigns. Initially, when Redneck Revolt found out that I was volunteering, they were okay with it because the, the candidate was my friend. After I had been in the group for a few months, I had already passed the probationary membership. They had already voted me in as a member. They confronted me over Signal, which is what they use for their communications. Uh, they confronted me with the fact that I had Facebook posts in support of a candidate for sheriff. And that's where they said to me, that's where we fundamentally disagree. We don't believe in reform of any kind. We believe in complete abolition of the system itself, including police. So that was a major issue, and they ended up telling me that they had a lot of concerns. The words they used were they had security concerns about me and that I should not come back to the meetings again. And these two sound bites, this will never make the air of CNN. It's NYC responding back to the defund and a black woman during the protest saying what CNN will never say. What we have been saying on the show over and over and over. These are Democrat run police departments.
We don't have a choice. If we put our hands on the criminal, you're going to jail. I'm not being dramatic. That's how bad it is. No one's read the bills. They're following the crowd. None of that's going to hit the air, is it? Because our This Is America sums it all up. And, and before I get there, Big Sis, I'm going to use your sound bites to refute this because you have a good one with lemon there. During this time, two South Carolina National Guardmen found glass baked in their pizza they ordered. Glass. And Zach in Tennessee sends me a picture this morning that pretty much sums it up. Antifa claims the an area of Seattle is their own po- country. The country's population is overwhelmingly white. They preach extreme xenophobia and hostility towards outsiders who don't share their cultural beliefs, anti-immigration policies to keep their society and culturally homogenous. They even erected a wall to keep out undocumented immigrants. Several citizens have indicated that they are armed and are willing to use force to keep out undocumented immigrants. They also banned all press, putting aside all the other absurdities like the fact that none of them have any idea how farming works. Why aren't more people talking about the fact that when SJWs create their version of a utopia, it's basically a much, much more extreme version of everything they say they hate about Trump? My God, it's spot on. But it's not about facts, because Don Lemon just sums it up and makes me question, why are, are we needing a conversation? Because if you're born in America, you're already racist. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. The argument starts here with Trump's economic advisor saying this. I don't believe nowadays we have systemic racism. You said you don't believe systemic racism? I do, I, I do not. At all in the U.S.? I do not. You don't think there's any systemic racism against African Americans in the United States? I would say it again. I do not. It's, I, I call it white mansplaining. You know how you do mansplaining when, to women? This is white mansplaining 
um, the injustices that people they have no idea about are facing. That's all it is. It's the very simple thing is if you really want to understand racism in America, just think about your your phone, right, or your car, or your computer. When you see the factory reset in America is whiteness, is two cars, the American dream, which was built on what? On whiteness. And so once you think about it like that, if you are any other ethnicity, the factory reset is not you, the, that, which means the norm is set to your standard and mm. people who look like you, which means it favors you. The op- everything favors you. So it's just that easy. And he doesn't know or they don't know or they don't want to know because they are what? They are benefiting from systemic racism. But this is what I think. I think that this, this is going to sound weird, but, you know, every year the, the, I have hydrangeas in my yard and they come back a different color or a tulip or an orchid. And it's not because they're different. It's because the soil is different. Right. It depends on the nutrients in the soil. So if you grew up in America, you came out of American soil, how considering the history of this country, then I think we should start thinking, changing the, the thinking here. And how can you not be racist? How can you not have racial blind spots? How can you not see that the factory reset in America is whiteness? I mean, for fuck's sake, folks. Well, then why are we talking? If we're irredeemably racist just by being born in the country, there's no reason to have a conversation. It's not needed. Let's just quit. But this isn't new. Big sis in Colorado. (laughs) So apropos. You sent me a bunch. I couldn't get some of them because they wouldn't let me download. But I got Sheriff Clark. And I got a man named Harris at the hearing. And... CNN's not going to air this stuff because they're black. Sheriff Clark said this a long time ago, and he said it to Don Lemon. (laughs) You don't believe that for one minute, do you? That their message is? Yeah. Uh, That's what they said to me. Okay. Yeah, I believe them. Any protests over the deaths of these cops today in Baton Rouge? I don't know that. I don't know that. Any riots or protests over the uh, uh, police officers in Dallas, Texas? What are you asking? That's a pretty simple question. I asked you if what's your message to the people, their message is one of peace. What is your message? My message has been clear from day one two years ago. This anti-cop sentiment from this hateful ideology called Black Lives Matter has fueled this rage against the American police officer. I predicted this two years ago. So what I what I want to know? Okay, Sharon. Do I want to know? With all due respect, do you know that this was because of that? Yes, I do. Law enforcement officer. I've been watching this for two years. I predicted this. This anti-police rhetoric sweeping the country has turned out some hateful things inside of people that are now playing themselves out on the American police officer. I want to know. With all of the black-on-black violence in the United States of America. By the way, when the tragedies happened in Louisiana and Minnesota, do you know that 21 black people were murdered across the United States? Well, the, well, there was was there black, any reporting there was on that? a black that? officer who was killed today. But let, let's, was let's, there any reporting on sheriff, that? Sheriff, please, let's just, keep, let's just keep the volume down here. 
So I understand, and I and listen. I, I, I got, I'm I looking at disagree. three dead cops uh, this week, Sheriff, and I'm looking at five last please. year. You trying to tell me to keep it she'll down? Just please, she will just please. We can keep it civil. So, because uh, the message to people at home, I'm sure you want, is one of civility. I wish, Don, I, I wish I you like had that have, message of like civility to have a conversation toward this you. hateful ideology, these purveyors of hate. what my message is. That's what, what I they want to do. say to you is, these well, people let me preach vile and virtue we'll be right in back. the name we're of go to hate. And we'll be right back. All I want to do is have a conversation. I can't have a conversation with you if we're both talking at the same time. What it sounds like to me is that you're accusing me of violence and support. America, we've been getting played. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time coming to get our country to this very point that it's at right now, where looters and rioters are causing mayhem and targeting the police. And now we've got mayors and city council members that are planning to defund the very people that try to keep us safe. Sheriff David Clark was warning us. That was years ago, under the Obama administration. He was trying to tell us then that these anti-cop antics, these attacks against police coming from Black Lives Matter, we should have heeded his warning. They were threats, they were very real, and now we're dealing with it. But I'm holding the mainstream media responsible. How many times did they give a pass to all these protesters, every time Black Lives Matter wanted to go out and protest something. How many times did they give them a pass? How many times have we literally seen even politicians give these protesters a pass? Protesting is one thing. But do not soil the name of Dr. Martin Luther King, the most amazing civil rights leader this country has ever seen. He knew how to protest and he did it peacefully. David J. Harris Jr. here. If you like this message, please click the share button. So many of our friends and family have been drinking the mainstream media's Kool-Aid, and they need to wake up. Pastor Scott, you may begin. Chairman Nadler, members of committee, ranking member Jordan, thank you for inviting me to participate in these very serious hearings today. I want to begin by stating that the prospect of defunding and or dismantling police forces across the country is one of the most unwise, irresponsible proposals by American politicians in our nation's history and makes absolutely no sense at all, at least to me. I believe it is nothing short of the politicizing of current social events and the effort to garner votes during this election season. I also believe that it's a reactionary measure that can and will result in short and long-term damage to American society, particularly in our inner city and urban communities. Now, I recognize the fact that the elimination of excessive force and physical retaliation by officers of the law against American citizens is paramount today. I recognize the fact that racial profiling and the harsh treatment of minorities is a very real reality that must be eliminated immediately. 
I myself can testify of times in my life when I felt racially profiled by police. I can testify of times in my life when I was pulled over for driving while black. I can testify of giving my grandson, who is now of driving age, the talk of how to properly behave if pulled over by police because, because he had the question of a very real fear of the possibility of death at the hands of police. In fact, my very first interaction with police when I was 13 years old resulted in me being roughed up. I could very easily have been George Floyd. George Floyd could have very easily been me, my brothers, my friends, or any number of any other black men in America. However, I do not recommend throwing the baby out with the bathwater by labeling all police officers as bad cops simply because of the bad actions of a rogue segment of those whose job is supposed to be to protect and to serve American citizens. In fact, in certain inner city communities across America, increased funding for police and increased police presence is actually necessary in order to enforce the law and to guarantee the safety and the security of law-abiding members of those communities. As one who was formerly in that street life years ago, I might be a pastor, but I didn't come down from heaven. I came up out of hell with the rest of everybody else. I was formerly in that street life. I know very much about the criminal element, and I can state definitively that the criminal element in and of society would enjoy nothing better than a reduction in police presence and police power. It would allow those with criminal intentions and criminal acts to flourish virtually unchallenged in the communities of America. The law-abiding members of society would be directly threatened by the absence of police or the inability of police to respond to criminal activities and in many cases would endeavor to take the law into their own hands to ensure the, their safety and well-being as evidenced by the response of some who decided to defend themselves and their property from vandalism. An absence of police presence could potentially give rise to acts of domestic terrorism, mob rule, gang rule, neighborhood intimidation, oppression, and vigilanteism. Defunding of police departments has already happened in a number of American cities, and rather than remedying problems, has actually made conditions much worse. The city of Cleveland, my hometown, is a prime example of the results of police defunding. In 2004, the city of Cleveland laid off 285 officers. The entire police budget was slashed by 31%. To cover basic services, the following units were either disbanded or cut forever. The district strike force units, the narcotics unit was completely cut. SWAT was downsized. The fugitive unit was disbanded. The auto theft unit was disbanded. The intelligent unit was cut to bare bones. The mounted unit was cut 85%. The aviation unit was down completely for three years and is now only utilized during special events. The harbor unit was disabled. The boat sits rotting in a dry dock. The scientific investigation unit was cut 80%. All the lab techs were let go. All evidence collection is now done by priority. The D.A.R.E. Uh, problem, the Drug Abuse Resistance Education Program was cut. Community policing was cut 45%. 
Cleveland went through a decade-long downsizing, which saw department, the department reduce from 1,900 officers to 1,500 officers on average. Zone car coverage, which directly affects citizens, has been cut. Police presence in any given district on any given shift has been cut in half. One- and two-man units have been cut in half. Response time is dramatically longer if the police show up at all. The murder rates have climbed. The property crime is at record levels. Aggravated robbery statistics are higher. Drug sales, drug use, drug abuse is higher. Drug and alcohol-related motor vehicle accidents are the highest they've ever been. Cleveland has went from a relatively safe city per capita to an unbelievably unsafe city. Costs for service have increased even though the, uh, the, the, the population has dropped significantly over the last 20 years. Once safe areas of the city are now unsafe. One, once nice neighborhoods in the city are now not nice. Homicides are up 55% in Cleveland from this time last year. And Cleveland now has a higher murder rate per 100,000 residents than Chicago does. I believe that police departments are only as effective as politicians and their appointees allow them to be. Consequently, politicians and appointees are directly responsible for the state of their police departments. Law-abiding citizens. And I've spoken to a great deal of them overwhelmingly think that defunding or disbanding police departments is a horrible idea. Community policing is a very viable option to address the needs of inner city communities. Having police in the communities to actually get to know the residents is the best way to obtain the results that we all want. When I was growing up, the residents and the business owners knew the police officers that were assigned to our neighborhoods, and their presence was a deterrent to criminal activity. So in short, defunding of police departments in America has already happened. And it is proven to be an epic fail. We cannot allow that paradigm to continue if we want the neighborhoods of America to be safe to live in, the streets of America to be safe for residents to walk on, and the communities of America conducive for businesses to thrive in. So I recommend and I agree with the fact that police reform, or better yet, police revision should be enacted. But it has to be one that is sensitive to the stress, tension, pressure, and paranoia that policing produces. The fact that on any given day, any given call, any given stop can result in an officer's death can be very challenging mentally, while also being sensitive to the citizens of America who are supposed to be protected by the police and not be enemies of the police, whether in the suburbs or in the inner cities, whether we're black, white, red, yellow, or brown. I really believe that most police officers, most cops began their careers. Most bad cops began their careers as good cops. But they allowed the rigors of their job to affect their perspectives and their social interaction with those they are supposed to protect. And they began perceiving those that they are supposed to protect as those they themselves need to be protected from. I'm in agreement. I endorse police reform but it has to be sensitive to both sides of that issue. Thank you for allowing me. God bless you. It's bullshit. It's just bullshit. Those are black people. And there's plenty of black people. This is nothing more 
than a power grab. This is nothing more than going after everything it can get, and this isn't the first time. We went through this after Charlottesville. It was, everybody's racist, this show needs to go, Tucker Carlson needs to get taken off the air because he doesn't say what we want him to say. Um, We went after statues, we did all this. This is like the second time, except now we have a complicit media who is supporting defunding police, looting, burning, raping, beating, fucking autonomous zones, all under the guise of, we're racist. We're a racist country. Nobody wants to go on the TV and talk about an African country who hacked millions to death and there was black on black over their religion. That could be considered pretty fucking racist. But we're the most racist country in the world. Because you know why? They want to win a fucking election. They want to be fascist and shut down all opposing views. So once again, everything's racist. Every statue's racist, including ones the first abolitionist was torn the fuck down. The first abolitionist torn down. He's going to tear it down because we don't know our history. We don't know that that guy helped black Americans. Because when you have a media that's not talking about facts, everything goes. Everything's on, man. And we haven't put out any facts for two weeks. Nobody's even had the fucking intestinal fortitude, the intellectual honesty to go, what are they still protesting for? The reasons for the protest was to bring to light systemic racism that doesn't exist in the country. But okay. And we needed to get higher charges and the rest of the officers arrested. That was accomplished. Then when the media realized this really wasn't about that, this is about hundreds of people looting Walmart. There's a video of a Walmart being looted. It's almost 90% African Americans. Local news will show it. Local news is showing everything. National news is saying peaceful protest. It's a festival zone. And like I said in the podcast, if you're going to go with far left bullshit off Twitter and attack Laura Logan or Trump's calling it the SS now for Secret Service, and now it means Nazis, and the military bases are all racist, and all the other fucking conspiracy theories that you see on the left, how do you not see the hundreds of people beating the fuck down, cops beating, shit looted, burning, violence, the autonomous zone, sheriff, And when in a million, I mean, I understand these are the same people that thought Occupy Wall Street was a great thing, even though there were rape camps up in that bitch. And they destroyed the area they're living in. I would never in a million years thought the media would go full-fledged anarchy. 
whip up lies about Antifa being white supremacists, whip up lies that really it's the lockdown states that are getting COVID, not the 19 fucking areas that had huge protests. They're still trying to bring that back. Trump can't have rallies, but we can have huge rallies protesting everything is racist. I mean, seriously. It is unbelievable, all for an election. We've destroyed the economy. We have parts of our country in civil unrest for the longest time ever. Parts of cities are occupied by domestic terrorists that are called freedom fighters. We're lying about people storming after temperature check capitals. They're domestic terrorists. These are hippies. It goes back to me and my mom talking the other day. Who sleeps with a knife next to her bed. Because Portland's so bad. Even though I'm called an idiot when I point it out. We're in an upside down world. And the only way it gets rectified is when normal people take to the street. But unfortunately, normal people, excluding me, have to finance all these fuckers and their social reform. I literally got three surveys this week. What else should the federal government do? I said, nothing. If the protesters would stop burning shit down, people could go back to work. I've gone to the liberal side of my town. Me and my wife are the only people in masks. Just us. Nobody was in masks. Nobody was social distancing. Nobody was doing anything. So the liberals don't even buy what CNN's putting down a Jimmy Fallon, who has destroyed any hope of normal people watching his shows. He's gone full libtard to flagellate himself for a blackface on a liberal show 20 years ago. Now he's got the roots on every night saying, yeah, America's racist. You're all a bunch of racists. Even though I'm a fucking millionaire named Questlove. Well, I wish I could get that kind of racist treatment and make millions. That'd be kind of cool. My sister's soundbite's perfect. That's so long ago. And the Antifa soundbites are so spot on. We played that six months ago. They're going to burn it down. And that's what they're doing. But our media doesn't even cover Antifa. They call them one white supremacist on Twitter. It is fucking crazy. It is so bad that I look for stories when I wake up and I look for stories when I go to bed. But I don't go on Twitter. I don't go on Facebook. I don't go around any of this shit. And we don't watch news anymore. Because the more I watch it, the more angry I get. This is not why I spent 20 years defending the country. None of this was under the First Amendment. The right to assemble with grievance does not mean beat people, kill people, burn shit, loot, attack the police, censor TV shows, cancel everybody who won't say I'm a racist and bow. Because here's the reality, liberals that listen to me. Everything you say will not matter, Lady Annabellum. That's all I got to say. And you could give them reparation, you can give everything. 
The African-American, normal Americans, they don't want that shit. The race hustlers do. The moment you give them everything, you decriminalize all laws. Fucking take goddamn police forces, get rid of them. Just do whatever you want that they demand. They'll come up with new demands. The people pushing this shit, Antifa wants anarchy and BLM wants superiority. The only way to get a militant BLM member happy is to put all whites in chains. And your election guy, Mr. Biden, he even says he's not defunding. He's going to invest money to make cops die quicker. Because they won't be able to use force. And I will guarantee when all this decriminalization happens and all these defunding happen and policemen start dying and crime rates go up to the fucking roof, you'll never hear it in our media. It'll just be a festival. A summer of love. Yeah, that's what we're living right now. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D C-A-S-T at gmail.com podcast at gmail.com. Get this show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Downcast, PocketCast. Check out the, the Twitter page, because we don't have a Facebook anymore. Fop Tony Reed. So we're going to go with our next podcast being the uh, 17th of June, year of our Lord, 2020. Um, yeah, I think I could squeeze it in. Got fishing this week. I have to paint the world. Nah, there it is. 18th. Let's go 18th. 17th, I got to paint. <laughs> I got to paint the deck. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Share some time with your family. If you do go out and about, make sure you're packing. Make sure you're packing. As the lead singer staying, I never leave my house without my 49 or 45. And I'm living that right now because they're not going to stop. They've now been allowed to be lawless fucks and they will be lawless fucks. That's not black people. That's not white people. That's all these people out there saying we're here for social justice, which really means take away your safety and rights. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Thank you.